You are listening to the Quarter to Three Movie Podcast for The Rover. My name is Tom Chick, and I am here with Christian Makrowski. Uh My name is Morosky, and I'm so very fly. Oh my, it's so Rosky. Well, I'll take that. Kelly right. one, give us a tagline. I will, yes, for the rover. Uh, Rose before bros. Let's go back to Dingus's intro. Wait, I had backups. <laughs> okay, what's a backup for the, a backup tagline for the rover? Mel Gibson meets William Gibson. Mm. A guy in his... Oh, it's a spoiler, though. Really? So, At this so, point? Yeah, so if you're listening um, and you haven't seen the rover... Uh, I'm going to do stop one. not liking my taglines. Look what happens. I know it's my fault. Uh, well, how about this? Uh, you can call me baby. Uh, I'm going to do one of those things we I think every now and then do. Uh, we haven't talked about the movie with each other, but I think it's safe to assume all of us are going to suggest that you wait for this limited release movie to come out and check it out, and then come back and listen to the podcast. Are you going to bleep me like that at a time? Um, uh, well, yes, we're going to bleep that. Uh, so the the rover dingus. How would you introduce this movie to someone who doesn't know anything about it? Why don't you uh, tell us briefly about it without spoilers? All right. Well, this week we saw the rover, a 2014 Australian crime drama movie about tough guys in shorts and tins of things and drinks and stuff. It was written and directed by David Michaud, based on a story by him and Joel Edgerton. It stars Guy Pierce, Susan Pryor. Uh, which one's she? Scoot McNary and Robert Pattinson. Nothing, Kelly? Right. The <laughs> Rover. The Rover Wait, is. He's the werewolf one, right? Oh, good Lord. Team. The Rover is rated R uh, for language and some bloody violence. <laughs> really? Yeah. What about. The Rover didn't make any money because it's a very limited release. It's only in, I think, like 500 theaters. Uh, so let's not go there. Uh, <laughs> if, we, if we look at the critical reception on Metacritic, this is the percentage. Oh, no, this is the average rating from various reviews. On Metacritic, the Rover is at 64. On Rotten Tomatoes, if we look at the percentage of reviews that are positive, 67% of the reviews of the Rover on Rotten Tomatoes are positive. Now, if you filter it by top critic, maybe you're thinking, you know, this is just a movie that would be more critically acclaimed. It's, it's a very distinct kind of film. Lots of folks probably wouldn't like it. But movie critics, maybe they might appreciate it more. People who've been criticizing movies professionally. So you can filter out top critics. You can filter, you can press a button, top critics, and filter out maybe the more amateur folks who might not understand it. If you do that on Rotten Tomatoes, <laughs> the percentage of positive reviews goes from 67 to 58. Wow. What a trance. <laughs> okay. Who would ever do that, though? Like, what's the point? Maybe you just want to see what the top critics think versus, you know, the... the I have math. a theory. It yes. goes to 58? There you go. 58%. It's, I think that's over half of the... percent What the fuck? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Sorry. Was, what? It's sorry. arbitrary. It's all arbitrary. What, what the fuck? I have a theory. It's like the fewer theaters a movie's playing in, the better it is. So, like, 
Well, there's a lot of really obscure documentaries and foreign films that you would probably think are awesome, Kelly Wand. <laughs> Kelly Wand, have you seen uh, Stranger by the Lake yet? Because I think that never opened in more than like a hundred or so theaters. And the subject matter seems right up your alley. Yeah. Alley. You should check out Stranger, Stranger in the Lake. Stranger by the Lake. What about Stranger. the Bay? Uh-huh. We really wanted to try to get you into Stranger. Stranger in the Lake? Yeah. We really, we really were, we, we had designs upon like trying to get you into a theater to see that. Like somehow trying to punk you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It Mm. looks like it's a, a French gay Hitchcock drama, (laughs) which I'm fine with that. I've got no problem with that, but I would love for you to not know that's what you were walking into and to then see Stranger by the Lake. I thought that genre was ripe for parody by this point. Well, speaking of being ripe for parody, Kelly Wan, why don't you give us a synopsis of The Rover? Um, I want to tell you a thing I read this week that was movie-related. Uh-huh. I read that Macaulay Culkin is a self-diagnosed agoraphobiac. He doesn't like agribusiness? He doesn't like crowds. Oh. That's great. Awesome. I will keep that in mind next time I see him in a movie. <laughs> no, see, because he was in Home Alone, but he's an agoraphobe. So it's an ironic thing. Ah, I get it. The Rovopsis. Is that how you say that? Agrophobe? It's agoraphobe. Yeah, because agora is like an open place. It's like an agora in ancient Rome, Kelly Wand. Right. I thought the O, you just skipped it. (laughs) I thought the O just meant... Like in Rover. Opsis. Rovopsis? The Rovopsis. Some words are all, ten years after the Australian apocalypse, Larry David and two other reservoir dogs are in a car. Larry David's all, he put sex rest leaving him behind. The biker one's all, say that 18 more times in different ways, I dare you. Burt Young's all, Taylor Lautner, he's our greatest living actor. The biker one's all, I'm warning you. Their car hits nothing and rolls over a bunch of times. The guy from Time Machine is in a diner staring at nothing. He doesn't hear anything because he's listening to music that mutes nearby car crashes. Larry David's gang steals Guy Pierce's car by turning the key and driving off in it. Guy Pierce steals it. Is that what happened? I guess. Did I get that wrong? No, keep going. Guy Pierce steals another car by following them. I nudge the feral nine-year-old with the boomerang sitting beside me and go, Australian post-apocalypse has never seemed to be hurting on gasoline. Maybe what causes their apocalypse is, is too much gasoline, huh? I get that right. <laughs> no, you don't. Do you? Did you make him watch it, Tom? Larry David stomach- Sorry, I had you on mute. Uh, no, I, he watched it of his own accord. Had me on mute. I had me on mute. Sorry. <laughs> you had yourself on mute. <laughs> All right. I was eating. I didn't want to eat it on the microphone. I mean, no one needs to know about that. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> I thought it was your review of the Opsis. Larry David's stomach wound enthusiasts shoot at Guy Pierce. The bullet hits Guy Pierce's windshield, but he tricks them by ducking. The bikers all, my one shot missed. What do we do? Larry David's all, I'll stop the car and ask him to please stop. The biker one's all, that's how we all got shot ten minutes ago and yesterday. Burt Young's all, look, we all made mistakes. The biker one's all, say that again, I dare you. They stop the car and brandish shotguns. Larry David's all, 
All right, Goldilocks. Either rear end is drive slower. Enough with the uh, Goldilocks zone tailgating style. <laughs> Guy Pierce is all, give me me car back. After the movie, I realized this is probably where Guy Pierce could have saved himself a lot of hassle by just saying, what if we just switch cars? Larry David's all, look, mate, see this shotgun in my hand? It's not just for show, all right? And if you don't leave us alone, I'll have me friend here bleed on you from a stomach wound. We're on this apocalypse together, so you got to look out for number one. Because once social institutions collapse, I don't know, actually, never really thought about it. Might be better in some ways. Guy Pierce is all, give me me car. The biker's all, fuck Larry, he's a man with nothing to lose. What do we do, shoot him? Larry David's all, nah, I got a better idea. They drive off. Larry David's all, hmm, stomach wounds, eh? Wait, that's supposed to be Guy Pierce. Sorry. <laughs> he drives to the local grandma's and goes, where's me car? She's all, what's your name, dearie? He's all, where's me car? She's all, let grandma give you a teenage boy instead. I've got all kinds, brown-haired and androgynous. But you remind Granny of Iron Man, so she'll cut you a nice home-baked bargain on Siamese triplets playing cards with a dwarf in the kitchen if you tell her your name and let her coochie-coo your chin a little. But remember, no hands. Guy Pierce rolls his eyes and goes to the kitchen dwarf and goes, I need a gun to shoot you with. He completes his purchase and goes back to Grandma. He's all, where's me car? I killed you, dwarf, so I expect you to help me. She's all, cause I can't help you with young buns, but Robert Pattinson's out there in the driveway. Guy Pierce goes to the driveway, sees Pattinson crawling around with a stomach wound, checks it against the photo of the brother's stomach wound, and goes, where's me car? Pattinson's all, Guy Pierce rolls his eyes and drives Pattinson to the local blonde vet. He's all, hey, can you fix this guy's stomach wound? I can't understand a fucking word he's saying. Also, where's me car? The vet looks at the wound. She's all, damn, a pity it wasn't Lautner, him being a cross-eyed werewolf and me being a vet, but I'll do what I can. I should warn you, he may need stitches. He might be different afterwards. Guy Pierce is all, as long as he's intelligible. The vet's all, well, it's a stomach wound, but YOLO. The Baylings show up to tell Guy Pierce he owes them. Jeez, <laughs> oh, really? That's it. You see them from afar, Dingus. You don't have to listen to them. They show up to tell Guy Pierce he owes them one gun, one bullet, and half a dwarf head, but he negotiates a discount. How's your sandwich, Tom? It's good. It's good. Thank you. To make sure Pattinson doesn't try to escape, Guy Pierce leaves him in a motel room with an empty gun and a pocket full of bullets. Then he finds a stoop in front of a different motel and sits on it to stare at nothing. <laughs> and on that stoop... Robert Pattinson sees a 4x4 drive by his motel room, so he ducks and acts super suspicious and shoots at the occupants, but makes the tragic mistake of assuming apocalypses don't have maid service. The nine-year-old with the boomerang nudges me and goes, I didn't know Australians used maids as hostage negotiators. I go, I think someone around here needs to put a little shh on the Barbie. But the kid no longer exists. Guy Pierce storms into the hotel room and looks at the body. He's all, where's me car? I mean, how's your voice's stomach wound? 
Robert Pattinson's all Guy Pierce is all Christ. All right, okay. We're going to need some towels to get rid of all this blood. Call housekeeping. They pick up the phone and dial the front desk. The dead maid's cell phone starts ringing. They look at her body. Guy Pierce is all, oh, yeah, huh? Some cops come and arrest him. The police chief sits at his desk and goes, all right, you Guy Pierce, can't be having every Joe Q. Illiwack at Blimangin around the countryside asking decent folk where your car's at. This is an apocalypse, not a parking structure. Sorry, but that's a capital offense. We're going to have to deport you to America for a week. Guy Pierce is all, I shot my wife ten years ago, and you people never even came by. The cops all, fine, we'll send a squad car by your place, and if your story checks out, we'll arrest you again. You can't ask further than that. Now, I need you to fill out this here form to process you. Give me answers with no guff. This will go easy on everyone. Now, what's my badge number? Can't read it while it's on my lapel. It's upside down. Guy Pierce is all, how do you sleep at night? The cops all bit hit and miss. Speaking of which, uh, what happened to your friend Pattinson there? Why did we arrest him? We hear two gunshots. Robert Pattinson barges in, pistol raised. The cops all, don't worry, guns are allowed back here. It's actually a pretty exciting time for law enforcement. Edward Pattinson shoots him. Guy Pierce is all, he saved me. Why? Pattinson's all, warm bodies. They drive to a fence. Then they drive to the house where his car's at. Guy Pierce sits in the front seat for a while, but Robert Pattinson's all yerple derple, so they go into the house where everybody gets shot except Guy Pierce and another Larry David. It turns out the reason they're in such a hurry to get back home was so that they could take naps. Guy Pierce drives past ten pet cemeteries and five hectares of land with soft soil. Then he pulls up into a bed of shale. <laughs> it's a dead dog out of the truck. Sets its corpse down on the ground, then goes back to the trunk to get the shovel, and suddenly realizes he left it in the trunk of his other stolen car. <laughs> so he has to go back home. Uh, <clears throat> that's the end of that. All right. So wait, which one's Burt Young and which one's Larry David? They're both that same guy. Oh. It's like how they had two daughters on Roseanne play one actress. So Burt Young and Larry David are both. Yeah, that's dude. The guy who has said it three times, and if he says it again, it's going to be the same. That, yeah. It was Archie. Archie. I love that his name was Archie. Yeah. Is he an Animal Kingdom? I couldn't remember if I'd seen No, I don't think so. Uh, uh, all right. So, uh, Dingus, why did you see this a second time? Um, somebody uh, I wanted to go with wanted to see it again. Uh, Kelly, you you mailed me something to the effect of, God damn it, Tom, mm. after seeing it, what what was up with that? Uh, I just wanted to talk about it because it was really an interesting movie. Uh-huh. And it was very, um, it kind of reminded me of Martyrs where it's like the last shot makes you review the whole movie differently. Mm, okay, oh, sure, sure. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll take that in a way. Um, I, just, I, disagree. I don't feel that way, but okay. Uh, so I would say it's like I'm Martyrs. Really, Good. I would say it's like Martyrs in that uh, it's a movie that you can watch uh, twice, and as someone who's seen it twice, uh, I feel you watch it the first time for the unfolding of it and kind of the thrill of it, and you watch it a second time to get a lot of the subtext based on what you discover in the reveal in the final scene. Uh, Watching it a second time, I loved picking up on moments like... Um, you know, Guy Pierce's line about you take somebody's life, you think about it the rest of your life, that's the price you pay. When you later find out... 
obviously he has a personal resonance with that statement. But I also love things like how he re- reacts to the vet's dogs in the room. You know, right. when, you, when you first see that, you're like, oh, well, that's, you know, he's just he's looking at dogs and it's weird. But then when you see it a second, when you see the movie a second time, knowing the reveal that he's after the car because his dog was in the, the trunk, that, that scene takes on a whole color. Especially, too, the scene with the, as Kelly called her, the grandma. I think she has a name in the credits. I forget what it is. Um, but, man, I love that scene where she's saying things to him about his car. You know, it's a hell of a thing to get worked up about in this day and age. And he's reacting so power. I mean, there's, there's obviously stuff going on. And you think, oh, he's just about to blow her head off. But he's just reacting to the fact that he has these feelings for this this animal that's died, and he doesn't quite know what to do with him. And when she says, it's a hell of a thing to get worked up about in this day and age, she's talking about the car. He's obviously thinking about his dog. Um, well, I, th- I thought of all that after I saw it, and, I, and that's what I mean. Like, I didn't mean it like I didn't like the rest of the movie. But, but when you see it a second time, though, I think all of that subtext just, just comes flooding through. And uh, Well, when he's in the kennel, you go, oh, yeah, that's why that weird look on his face when right. he sees all well, the he, he gives Well, he gives a look. The, the thing I picked up along those lines a second time through is when the uh, – is when the the dwarf throws right. a rock at the gun at the dogs. He gives the he gives him a look too. I mean, when he's about to kill the little guy too. Like there's yeah yeah. But, but when that when that when he, when the guy's just like they're walking over to the trailer and he's like, "Will you shut up?" And he picks up a rock and he throws it at those two dogs. He gives him a little look. I mean, and and there's a lot of little things in this scene at the second time that are just such great payoffs. Yeah yeah. Um. And certainly, man, I I have not seen a Twilight movie, and I would conventionally, you know, normally I would say I have no desire to, but I was just mesmerized by what Robert Pattinson was doing. Oh, good lord! Amazing stuff. And I Jesus. I, I talked for. I think we did a three by three on sidekicks once. One of my favorite sidekicks was uh, was Tim Roth in a movie called Gridlock with Tupac Shakur. And I love, you know, Tupac Shakur was a powerful presence in the movie. He's not a an actor. Uh, he's good in the movie, but he's definitely not an actor. He's a powerful presence. But what Tim Roth does in that movie as someone who is kind of submissive to him and is his buddy and isn't very bright, but is very loyal. I loved watching Tim Roth in Gridlocked and Robert Pattinson, just some of the same stuff here. Guy Pierce is certainly a very capable actor and is doing his own thing. But I was just so fascinated at Robert Pattinson, who I'd never seen before. I went to see Cosmopolis a David Cronenberg movie, and I think it was him in Cosmopolis. Yeah, and you walked out. Yeah, I found him so grating, and I just didn't want to see a whole movie about him as this privileged rich guy. And I walked out to see something else next door. Um, and now maybe I'm wondering, should I watch Cosmopolis? But I just, I just couldn't. I mean, he was so just, just present and doing things and reacting. It was just a fantastic, amazing performance. Even going beyond, I, I mean, I didn't so much see him as a sidekick so much as be as becoming a pet as becoming the the sort of the not surrogate but the replacement for that loyal like sam character from i am legend or his dog that he trains to be loyal to him and that becomes loyal to him and i I did not know going in that robert pattinson was going to be in this and i have not seen him in anything i've just colored you know what i expect of him from the teen sort of movies that i know he's done uh he freaking blew me away in this i mean he does this weird sort of channeling of some of Billy Bob Thornton from Sling Blade and uh, some other stuff on his own. And uh, I mean, there's so much going on in this, in this performance. I am freaking knocked out. And, you know, you asked me a, a few minutes ago, Tom, why would I see it again? I would see it again just to watch him 
act again and 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 to watch Guy Pierce react to what he's doing because I love the way Robert Pattinson seems like he's he's surprised every time he wakes up that he's still alive and he seems diff- it seems like it's painful to get thoughts out and how Guy Pierce reacts to the things he does like with this great surprise they have such a great chemistry yeah yeah it's an amazing bit of work between the two of them yeah uh, and I, I like you know I there, there's definitely this childlike quality to it, but the thing is you're definitely onto something with this idea that he becomes like a surrogate dog because it, it really is this kind of thing. Like he's so uh, subservient and uh, like it, it's it's like this, you can't it's like you you can't you kick a dog like that and you can't help but you know he, he's like a kicked dog. Uh, and he's, he's tagging along with him. And when he does prove his loyalty, how that obviously evolves their relationship. Uh, I think it's very much like this idea of like a, like a pet. Like there's this kind of loyal dog-like quality to his performance. But he doesn't bury him. He puts him on the fire, right? Like the dog's the only one he buries. Um, well, let's go. Should we talk about the end then? Should we? Because I, well, I have questions. Okay. I have um, a couple too. Okay. Like what happened to her? <laughs> to who? The girl, the vet. There's a couple girls. So to to the vet, what do you mean? What happened to her? Well, he says come with me, but we never see her again. So. He says that to Robert Pattinson. Yeah, he does not say that to her. He leaves. Oh, I her. thought he was talking to her. Oh no, yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. He puts her down on the floor, and then he he has one purpose. He which nothing but, to do with her. By the way, that made me think too. Like uh, like like how I, I, Dennis, you would know more about this than me, having sort of raised a dog from a puppy. Like it's this weird. Like I'm gonna put you down on the floor and force you into a submissive position, you know, when she freaks out on him, because he's basically destroyed her standing, and he does that weird thing. It's not like just pushing her away, but like he pushes her on the ground and holds her there. Right. It's like like getting a dog to be submissive or something. It's, it was it was an odd like gesture. Like, why did David Michaud have him do that to her? Um, so, uh, so some of the questions I have are uh, so, so the relationship evolves, and there's some great stuff there. Um, when he gets to the house uh, at the very end, and he sees his car there, and he, we, he knows we don't uh, know yeah. that, but we know that the dog is in the trunk, and he gets in the car. Uh, why doesn't he just leave? Because uh, Pattinson, mm-hmm. I think. Kelly but does he have the does he have the keys? Is he able to leave, or does he have to go into the house? Is he just like soaking in the fact that he has the car? Back? I would presume the keys are still in his pocket because he yeah uh, he the, the movie begins with him going into the bar, having parked his car. They use some little electronic thing to right, and I love how they make that very clear to show us that the guy is kind of like hacking the car or whatever. So he still presumably has his keys. He doesn't need the keys from them. Uh, so well, just uh, get the, what he needs out of the car and leave the car. No, no, why doesn't he just get in the, you know, this is what he's come for. He's come all this way to get his car. Uh, he now has his car. Uh, what is, what is going on that he is... Pattinson makes him get out. Like, he has to fi- finish the Pattinson thing. Okay. What, so you feel, why do you feel he does that, though? And that's obviously, you're obviously right, is he goes in and he's going to, what, what has made him do that? Uh, because there's some unspoken agreement he has with Pattinson that he okay. would take him there and then they would be they would continue their epic bromance across the countryside. Yeah, right. well that's <laughs> so, so. <laughs> any any theory? And he feels abandoned by his I don't have guys. What's what's weird for me is that he does not check the trunk. Um the yeah. the, the one thing that and they of, don't. 
Well, that's the thing. I mean, that that over the course of this time in this very hot area where they've driven for days, um, they haven't checked the trunk and, and uh, he doesn't check to make sure that they haven't. I think this is more about um, about being a, an alpha or a pack leader. And uh, he, he sits back in his car. I mean, I love the care with which they close and open doors in cars. Um, but when he sits in there, he basically reclaims this thing of his and then he takes care of the rest of his pack i mean that i mean he's you know there's a theory about raising dogs that you are the leader you're the alpha if you're a human you're the alpha of the pack of your household uh one person leads the household and the dog follows that person and the dog will obey that person above all others the dog will do other things for other people but you kind of are you're the alpha. You're you're the pack animal, um, and I think that since he has made Pattinson essentially his uh, his his pack animal, he's taking care of what's going on with the rest of the pack, and then he's going to resolve this other thing. I'm a little uncomfortable of, of, of putting it in those terms because I don't I don't it is, think it, the movie I, I understand to, it's weird. Yeah. Well, I don't think the movie intends to dehumanize Patton, Pattinson's character Ray in any way, and no. I think on the contrary, what I wonder about is what does he think? Obviously, his decision when he gets out of the car is he's going to take Ray into the house and he's going to assemble the the. The guys who stole the car, including Ray's brother Henry, what does he, Guy Pierce's character, think is going to happen? Is he helping Ray kill his own brother? That's sort of what I'm wondering at. And, and as someone who has murdered his own wife and sort of lived with that guilt and presumably kind of been destroyed by it because he says to the policeman who has him, you know, it was over for me a long time ago – it seems to me odd, and I don't understand, that this guy whose loyalty has been proven, um, that he's going to help him kill his own brother? Is he going to help him – is he going to prevent it? I mean that's kind of what I'm wondering is what does he think is going to happen when he gets out of the car and doesn't just leave and is going to pull everyone with guns into one room with Ray? That, that's what I'm curious about. Uh, is he helping Ray kill his brother? He's helping Ray come to a decision. Okay. And whatever and I, that happens. I don't know the answer, like, but that, I think that that's – and I don't think that David Michaud necessarily answers it, but that's that's interesting. Like is he then going to let – Because he seems surprised when it goes south. Is he, he then – go ahead. I was just going to say, when it when the shooting starts, he does – maybe I'm misremembering it. You guys saw it. Well, he sees, he sees Ray get killed. I mean I think that's where, where it goes south. How about everybody? Expected but that. is he going in to basically enable Ray to kill his brother? And I don't know that there's an answer for that. I don't quite understand. Um, uh, and it, it, he certainly has no – uh, one of the really cool th- – like I love how ruthless this movie is. And and killing the, the, the black guy and Archie when he has them – you know, he just very carefully looks at them. One, two shots, like bang, bang. He looks and aims and makes sure to shoot them in the head and then mm. goes into the other room. Like he has no compunction about quickly doing that. Once he sees it, it's gone south. Um, and he always shoots efficiently because he's a really good shot. He kills everything on the first I try. think it's clear that he was when Ray says, were you a soldier? I, I think it's clear right. that he was yeah. definitely in the military. Yeah. Um, but I think that there's also sort of a, a level of sort of this thought of destiny that he has about him. He might even – McCarthy-esque. That, 
Well, it's it's not it's not just that you know it's that it's that scene that he has with uh, Anthony. Which uh, what's the character Anthony Hayes plays in this? The I think they just call him Town Cop or so. Or no, Town Cop's the one that gets shot. Just the the policeman who arrests him, Dingus. Is that what you mean? Well, Town Cop is I think played by Nash Edgerton, but right, uh, right. but uh, Anthony Hayes. I can't remember the the cop, but but that's an awesome scene, and it, and it seems like. Like Eric, which I, you know, oh, the, I hate that. By the way, that his it, name's in the credits, but never given in the movie. Isn't that horrible? I it's think it so just terrible. should be Rover or Guy or, or the man, like in the road, yeah, the man, know, the yeah. man, and the boy. Yeah. Um, there's an <laughs> element I think about him that he might already think he's dead, or he might already think that 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 everything he has is already resolved. That whole thing about you know uh, a threat implies that something else can happen. Uh, all of everything's already been decided, and and then when when Ray comes in and shoots that guy, that's I think why Guy Pierce is so surprised. It's like I thought this, I thought this was already played out. I think he's got this weird sort of idea about destiny about him, and I think Ray, Ray is constantly. I mean, Ray is this new force in his life that he wasn't expecting, is kind of contradicting that. So when he goes and he sits in his car, and Ray is standing there going, "What are you doing?" What what are you doing? I, I think he's he. I think this is in a way kind of t- teaching him. My des this isn't my my destiny isn't set. I I mean I'm going to be able to do other things here. I mean it's 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 such a weird moment. I don't have the answers either. But that moment where he sits in the car uh, so carefully and then he listens to what Ray is saying to him. It, it sort of lends this idea of like I'm. I have something to play out that I didn't realize I was going to play out. It's, I, I don't really know how to interpret it. Part of it, too, I do wonder if there is this sense of, of reciprocating for uh, Ray rescuing him from the cops uh, and then him realizing if he just leaves Ray to go in alone and Ray yeah. has this idea about killing his brother, uh, you know, Ray's going to botch it or something's going to happen. Like, And so maybe he's even going in to facilitate, look – I've got my car, and I would love for it to be a, a, this tragic ending like this. I don't know if I can support it, but I would love to think that having known what he's gone through, having killed his wife and how he's, he's it's burned his life out, and he's just lost his dog, uh, he, what he's going to do is bring him in there and say, look, I got my car back. Here's your brother. Uh, you guys, you know, I, I, I kind of want to think that he's going to try to make it go right. Um, and he's going to try to say to them, you know, this is done. Because when he comes up, you know, he just he really does just want the car back. Um, and right. I think once he got it, now he, you know, he, Ray rescued him. I think he wants to get Ray back in with his brother. You know, they've got this money. They're going to meet with some people who are going to presumably take them out of the country back home or wherever. I'd like to think that this is a terrible tragedy in that he was going to try to fix everything. And it went south. Yeah, and and that also my my next question then is why does Michaud linger so much, and and if if my interpretation is correct, and again I don't know that I can support it with what's in the movie, why does he linger so much on him looking at that old man, and the old man just looking back at right. him almost insensate right. like this because it's the first time they've ever met and like <laughs> why don't they? Well, my my theory there is that he is he's seen himself. 
Yeah. You know, he has seen his future. Mm-hmm. He has seen right. that this is what is going to become of me. I will have, you know, I am surrounded by death and mayhem. The people around me will be gone. I will be old and alone. And just, I, I think that's what happens is he's going to try to repair this one relationship. It fails and he's just, sitting there looking at this man who's completely unfeeling because it's such a weird expression too uh-huh. and, and that's obviously intentional in Michelle's um. part it's such a weird expression that the man just has no reaction there's there's no fear there's there's no regret the guy is just like it's, it's just this no unfeeling face yeah no surprise even it's yeah. just complete dumb in, the, in a literal sense of the word resignation to, to death and mayhem and I think he sees himself in that scene I think all that's true uh, yeah, I, I think though if if he would have wanted to just uh, allow Ray to repair and reconcile with Henry, uh-huh. he could have very easily done that. He could have released Ray on his own. He could have done that at the fence. I mean, I, I mean, once he gets the car, he could just say he could just say. But if you remember, Dingus, the very last night when they're sleeping, when he says we're going to go tomorrow, Ray announces to him, "I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill him." Right. And he says, "Go to sleep, Ray." And, Ray, right. and, and Ray's like, I'm going to kill him, and he says, "Go to sleep." But what, once he has the car, I mean, he he I don't know how to put this. He he dominated Ray when he was sitting there when they were eating outside the motel, and and th- that's 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 where where uh, Henry's saying, "What did you do to my brother?" I mean, that's what he did to his brother. He dominated him, and he could have undone that. He could have said, "Give me your gun. Go in there." And or just sit out here and call out to Henry, and and they would have been fine, and he could have driven off. But I I think there's okay. there's an element of early on where he walks up to them and that awesome. I mean, this is one of the this this opening of the movie, which you haven't even really talked about, uh, sort of the 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 filmmaking elements of that opening and that awesome car chase, where he walks up and he says. Uh, he essentially says, if you keep going, I'm just going to chase you down. And, and I think that there's an element of that as well. I mean, there's sort of a certain amount of justice that has to be meted out. Really? I mean, because it looks like he just wants his car. And if and for a guy who wants justice, I mean, he's killing the wrong people. Uh, I, I don't I mean, I guess justice for like, do you think he's personally angry at them and he wants to kill them? Uh, not, not necessarily, but okay. he's kind of fulfilling a promise. He said, I would I'll come and get you. I don't know that he necessarily says that particularly, um, but uh, I think there there would be other answers. Not that he uh, he's not like an all knowing being, but I but I think that going and gathering them and sending Ray in to n- not knowing which room he's sending him in and knowing what Ray's capacity is um, and saying. We're not he does do know which shooting. room he's sending him to, though. Because he, he goes and he looks and he says, "There's two there. There's two up front." Right, but I don't. I don't think that, uh, given like the the position of the sleeping, that he necessarily knows that he's sending Ray to his brother's room. Because okay. if he does, he knows what Ray's capable of and what he's not capable of. Okay. Uh, which was really confusing to me both times I saw. It's like if I'm thinking. If I'm in, if I'm in the situation of Guy Pierce, and I'm sending Ray in there, I'm not sending him into his brother's room. I'm sending him into the other two guys' room, and I'll take care of his brother. So you say that, but he does make very clear to Ray, "Go get him, uh, bring him in here." Like I, I, I do think that he 
but you're right. I mean, you, you, how, how much can you trust him when he's as loose with this gun as, as he's proven to be? But he's assuming the brother won't uh, draw on his brother. Right. I think that's a part of it as uh, well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I, I mean, I do love that, that there's so much of this ambiguity. Well, yeah, so there's ambiguity there, but there's so much of the movie, too, is just so subtle and leaves us to sort of draw com- conclusions and learn right, things. Right. Um, I, you know, I love the world building of this idea that, you know, the global economy has collapsed and China is now extracting ore from, from Australia and there's this scattered uh, military presence. And I couldn't tell if they were supposed to be mercenaries on the train or if that was part and parcel of the same military that was driving around in the Humvees. Um, but the, like uh, in the credits, they list acrobats with the, the little dwarf. And, you know, that's a Chinese circus. And you see a, a poster there for a circus. Um, but the world building of what kind of apocalypse this is uh, was fascinating to me. Um, you know, we're so used to and, and obviously, you know, this has already been referenced for, for a lot of us. These apocalypses in the outback are Mad Max stuff, you know, Road Warrior from from the 80s. Um, and this is this great kind of furtherance of what that would look like today. You know, back then we imagined everybody would have mohawks and be on motorcycles and crazy <laughs> stuff like that. Uh, now it's very practical. You know, people using plastic bottles and wearing tennis shoes and cargo shorts. Um, you know, nobody had crazy haircuts because it looked like they would just shave their heads every now and then and let it grow back. Like I love just how everything just just seemed practical and bare bones. Um, it seems like that's what Australia's like now, though, isn't it? I have not been. I don't. I haven't either. But also, there were everybody's just lying around listless, like with nothing <laughs> to do, with nowhere to go. I don't know if the idea was that it was supposed to be an opium den or something, but even even the two guys in the store, it's just like everybody's just like sitting around, and there's there's nothing to do and no reason to be anywhere, and hardly any reason to get up and move. Um, like it's that kind of apocalypse. Is just all motivation has been drained from the world. Right. Um, Susan Pryor, uh, what's her what's her name? Peoples. I forget the first. Her it's name. not in the movies. So don't say her silly name for the credits. I hate that. I think it was like Dorothy right. Peoples or Mary. Yeah, Peoples. I think you're yeah, right. that was her name. But, but she's like, I've gotten along just fine without money, and, and yeah, you know, and and you're right. There's that opening scene where there's somebody lying on somebody else's lap, and then that weird brothel. Somebody else is lying on somebody else's lap, and then the convenience store was like, just buy a tin of something and get out of here. I mean, there's it was it's it's just so it's it's just so static and weird. And so, what I love about that is that it leads it it, it sort of feeds into the title of the movie. I mean, the, this mm-hmm. idea of it meaning more than one thing, and, and it's a triple, I think. Well, let's talk about that because I, I'm a little, I'm, I think it, I, I kind of think it's just a, not a pun, but it's just a play on a dog's name. No. What? Well, explain what? that to me. Who's the rover? What, what's this about? Yeah, okay, that's one. The dog's one. The right, vehicle right. is another one. Why is that, the, okay. Isn't that called a rover? Well, there's a land rover. It's a kind of a, a yeah. vehicle, but I don't think we see it. And the third one's an Australian walkabout. Like he's a, everyone's just wandering around. Let's just well, that's what I'm wondering is are people wandering? Like he said he's a farmer. Uh, right. You know, actually, I think Ray says, what do you, and he says, well, I was a farmer now, and now I'm here. I was a farmer, and now I'm I'm doing this. You know, I'm here looking for my Unless it's Pat Pattinson's the rover. Well, That's no, right. because they worked at the mines, and presumably some heist to get money went wrong, and they're, they're on the... the well, That's what roving is. You're wandering around robbing banks. And shit. Sounds like they're escaping. That's being on the lamb. That, then it should, if, it was called, if it was called the lammer, I would... You rove when you escape. 
down at your cup. Fair right? enough. Fair enough. So, so Dingus, is that? Uh, would t- talk to me about what you think about the, the title. No, I, j- I just thought of uh, it. It seemed to me that uh, that uh, Guy Pierce's character was somebody who, since the the collapse, um, has made his life moving from place to place. With that dog in that car, sure, like Mad Max. Spoiled. And now he's, and yes. now it, it wh- where we come to him at this point is that he's moving on to bury that dog. What supports that? What what makes me well, wonder that? It, oh, go ahead. No, uh, go ahead. You're, I, I think well, you're going to go. You're going to say something. Go ahead. Well, what makes me wonder about you know when he says when Robert Patton says what are you doing? He says I, I was a farmer and now I'm doing this. Uh, you know, if he was a farmer and if he did have a sedentary life and was just living somewhere. Why didn't he bury the dog there? The fact that he buries the dog in this completely unremarkable place makes me think that that is right. Maybe he is a wanderer. Um, uh, but that's not that, – again, that's not clear either. And obviously, I presume we're supposed to think that about him, that he's like this you know, wandering – you know, the classic Western gunslinger character. Right. Um, but I love – you know, the way – uh, the, so David Michaud comes from a group of uh, Australian filmmakers who work under this collective called Blue Tongue, and they have these really clever names for some of their shorts. Like, for instance, Spider. You're watching Spider, and you're like, why is it called Spider? And you find out at the end, and it's kind of a joke. Uh, it, I did wonder, well, is the rover them doing that as well? Um but there, you know, because it's not explicit that he's a wandering guy. It's not like Mad Max where they explain – and then he wandered the wilds after his wife got killed. Wait, what did they say? Well, Mad Max has that whole exposition where the <laughs> guy explains that he was, a, he was a shell of a man. And then yeah. he's wandering. The, they point out that he did wander the wilds. We didn't get that privileged information, that insight into uh, Guy Pierce's character. We didn't need it, though. Everything that's not stated in the movie doesn't matter. Like, Let's talk about what happened. Like, some stuff just happens, like that shootout. Uh, the subtext, yeah. Like, for instance, the stuff about, you know, there's such a subtext of trust. We, we find out Guy Pierce's wife was cheating on him. He killed her. But when Guy Pierce is talking to Ray and he says, is this something you know or something he told you? You know, this is a guy who was lied yeah. to. And, it, and, and that, you know, we didn't have that explained to us. But obviously his his unwillingness to trust somebody and to believe someone or to believe that somebody else wasn't lied to. Like uh, all of that is subtext as well. But, uh, yeah, and he says your brother can't be trusted. Yeah, right. Do you know this? Yeah, I love that. Like, I just lost a pet, and it was it's ever since uh, like just a couple weeks ago, and I find myself constantly talking to people and going, "My pet would be better than this person." So I spent. <laughs> this movie was like, I know just what he's talking about. Like, you can only trust the pet. Like the the dog was the one. Thing it didn't disappoint him. It reminded me of that great bit with Kevin Spacey in Margin Call. You know how how that's a constant. You know that's something that we're introduced to him very early on when he's on the phone and obviously distraught. And you think, oh, it's something about the the financial institution. And no, it's his dog is sick. And and that you know that's a part of his character throughout that movie. Um, yeah. So, but I mean, if if I'm supposed to be mortified that by the end, like, oh, he cared more about the dog than all those people, like. I totally related to the Guy Pierce character, the whole movie. You're barking up the wrong tree. But it uh, looks like the Mad Max dog even a little bit from what little we see of it. Well let's so is this um is this a western? Yeah. 
Explain. The way the proposition was, it's just different. It's further west, <laughs> and there's guns in it. Shotguns. He's a and he's a spaghetti western kind of hero. He's okay. a guy with no name who hmm? who is roving. Well, his name is Eric. We know from the credits. <laughs> I thought that was the dog's name. <laughs> his name is my baby. Uh, what, what does she want to call him? Yeah. So okay, go ahead. So yeah, so there's that, very much that spaghetti western man with no name element. Okay. And it's got uh, train robbers with stomach wounds. <laughs> I'd like and Dingus to feel the rest of his engines. <laughs> Well, uh, Dingus, Dingus doesn't necessarily agree with me. He may not think it's a Western. Labels, man. Well, I think that's how a lot of, uh, like, like Mad Max, uh, which Dingus recently saw, you know, oh, that, that's what? a Western, is the, the guy comes into town and he rescues the town from the, the evil cattle baron gang or whatever. Um, you know, Mad Max clearly uh, based on, on Westerns. Um, you know, and I'll just, I'll just, or Dingus, did you... No, There's a cattle baron and Mad Max. So I'll, I'll just throw this out because uh, I kind of think it's not a western; it's a road movie. And I'm not saying that because no, it's got nothing to do with westerns. I, I think the fundamental structure of this is more like a road movie: two people who are mismatched go on a journey together. They literally go on a drive together, and it's kind of about their relationship evolving over time. You know, certainly a lot of this post-apocalyptic stuff does have things that, they have things in common with westerns. Um, but part of what I thought made The Road so powerful for me is that as a road movie, it was about these two characters interacting with each other. And that was it was so focused on that. Um, and to just call it a, a, a sort of a, a Western, I think, misses the point. Um, is <laughs> it, there's, it could be both. That no, no, no. Right, right. And I'm saying – that are like midnight fair, fair enough, fair enough. Um, but I just feel like uh, to say it's like a latter day western, uh, you should first point out instead it's a road movie. I kind of feel because it's not, you know, a, I'm sure there are westerns that are also buddy movies that are about two characters getting to know each other. Um, but Mad Max, clearly a western. This, I would say, more of the road movie formula. That's a sort of a more important part of the structure, I would say. Did Dingus see Road Warrior too? Oh, yeah, yeah, he, he watched Road Warrior, not Mad Max. Did he watch Thunderdome? No, he did not. Okay. Back to what you're saying. I'm just curious. So is The Searchers a Western or a road movie? Uh, it's, uh, I mean, it's clearly set in the Old West. In that regard, it's a Western. Uh, do Who does Robert? Uh, I think of True Grit as, as sort of a, a better example of that's also kind of a road movie. Is True Grit is about Maddie Ross and Rooster Cogburn getting to know each other. It is set in the Old West, so you're right. And again, I'm not trying to be like a, a genre Nazi here. Uh, I'm just talking about this. Well, no, and I, I'll it's also... Western. That's the definition of a Western, though. Well, I'll also say, I think when there's an, another very important... There's an important subtextual difference between Westerns and, and post-apocalyptic movies. And they kind of... Uh, the, the settings both serve the purpose of putting you in a, in a lawless area. You know, like, like what happens right. yeah. to personal relationships when, uh, when people exist in, a, in lawlessness? Uh, and whether it's Maddie Ross and Richard Cogburn hunting down the man who shot her father, like it's that kind of thing. You can't very well do that in Los Angeles because instead you call the cops and the cops go get the guy. Um, so in order to create this kind of lawless <laughs> environment, you do like a Western and post-apocalypse has kind of served that as well. But to me, a, a, the fundamental nature of them is very different in that, and maybe I'm thinking this 
about this a little bit too deeply. But a, a Western is about the frontier. You know, it's about the wilds that, that precede civilization. Things might be rough on the frontier, but when you're watching a story about the frontier, you know they're going to get better, that civilization is on the way. These are the early days, and we just need good men to help us usher it in. But with a post-apocalypse, there is no such subtext. You know, here, the overwhelming idea of this lawlessness is loss. It's what we had, and it's what we no longer have. And And even good men... They're not going to bring civilization back. They can maybe survive, maybe redeem a person or two, or prevent a murder, but civilization, you know, has failed. Lawlessness is the ultimate, the final arbiter here. Uh, and the only thing ahead of us is uncertainty. Uh, you know, Westerns are fundamentally optimistic, uh, whereas there's this fundamental defeatism in, in a post-apocalyptic movie. Uh, and, 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 and I think that that's a driving force in something like uh, Cormac McCarthy's The Road, and certainly in David Michaud's uh, The Rover. It's that, that difference between a Western, uh, you know, the hopefulness of the frontier, and the post-apocalypse, the loss of civilization, the collapse. Well, The Road so, has, has an element of hopefulness about it. I don't think this does. The, the, at the, yeah. the Road, he's, he's handed off his kid, and uh, there's... Hopefully, well, oddly enough, Guy Pierce shows up. Yeah, he's... Um, in, in this, I, I think that Guy Pierce, Guy Pierce's character thinks his life is over, mm-hmm. and he's just playing it out. Uh, he's he's being loyal to the one thing in his life that he has left, mm-hmm. and taking care of that thing. And in, in that scene with the, uh, can with I don't know what the character's name is. Uh, I think he thinks life is over. Um, but he's going to play it out. But I don't think there's any hope there. And that's my point, is that yeah, that's yeah. the difference I, between a Western and a post-apocalyptic right, setting. Right. Uh, is they both give you lawlessness, but the subtext uh, and the, the, the basic tone is very, very different. Um, and one of the things I really, really love about this movie, uh, and I also watched Animal Kingdom, which is David Michaud's, another of David Michaud's movies, is that he does not give us... Uh, any explanations by voiceover. Um, and I love Animal Kingdom, but there's a lot more voiceover than I remember. Uh, James Freshill talks a lot more than you remember. Mm-hmm. Um, and in, in here, we, we simply don't have that. It, it, you have a title card at the beginning, Australia, 10 years after the collapse. That's it. Um, we don't, we're not given any other explanations about what's going on by voiceover. And often in these things, especially in Road Warrior Two, uh, you're given this all this like centurion like uh, voiceover that is a reveal later on, and that's fine. But uh, but you're not given it here, and I really really like that about the rover. I love that that he's just like you're going to interpret this the way you're going to interpret it. I'm letting you know it's ten years after the collapse. Do with it what you will. And, and still, though, there is world building. I mean, still, I love yeah, this, yeah, this, yeah, these yeah. very specific sort of socioeconomic ideas. Uh, yeah. Yeah, well, he goes into that bar at the very beginning. Has he been in that bar before? I, right, I don't know. Right, he goes in right. there. He knows that, okay, there's a water basin here that I'm going to yeah. splash myself with. And then I'm going to pick up this, this bottle that looks like it could be a gigantic bud, aluminum Bud Light bottle. And I'm going to pour myself a drink. There's two that dudes over there. That makes me think that he's been there before and he's kind of like a regular and therefore he does have a farm nearby that he's not a wanderer. I don't it know. Really, yeah, and, and that's kind of what I Because I almost that, thought, did, did he work there? Like, is he showing up for his shift? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, he's I, a I thought that too. But then 
the those dudes walk out when when the, his car's being stolen and they do nothing and he goes out well, and then that's he has the to of, of people in the apocalypse. I mean, everybody's doing right. anything, kind right. of. Yeah. Like they don't take a shot at the car or anything. They just kind of watch. That's it. yeah, exactly. <laughs> they don't, they don't say a thing to him. There's right. no there's no sense of recognition whatsoever. It's so weird. Uh, but I love that. And also, can I just say really quickly? Oh, the flies! I love the flies in this movie. <laughs> that remind me too of the uh, the not the proposition. What's the Australian western you just mentioned, Kelly Warren? It is the proposition. Yeah. yeah, I love when when they let flies into movies like this. Oh my yeah. gosh, it just adds so much. Just flies on the actors' faces. The proposition goes a little overboard with it, but uh, yeah, the, the flies were or something else. Um, and, and it opens with that he's sitting in the car. And I, by the way, at the beginning of the movie, the first time I saw it. I didn't know that was him. I didn't know that was Guy Pierce. Uh, he's just this this dude who looks ragged out. He looks like he's got some sort of radiation poisoning or something because his hair is so weird and sparse. And he's got like flies like on his face. I'm like, who's this guy? I didn't recognize Guy Pierce until a couple beats into the movie, and he's just sitting in that car with those flies crawling on his face and up his nose. And Robert Pattinson lets that go in too when he when they're at the fence, uh, you know when they've determined that we're going to go in the morning because there'll be less trouble. You know he's got flies crawling up his nose and whatnot. I love that. In Prometheus, what <laughs> Prometheus? Why would you bring Prometheus into a discussion of the rope? Because he has makeup in, on him in that movie. Who does? Guy Pierce. Pierce. Oh, I forgot he was even in that. Jesus. Jeez, oh, Kelly. Reminding me. Try harder. Yeah, I've gotten so much of Prometheus out, out of my fly mind. harder. Uh, the uh, the sound in this was amazing. I guess I yeah. you, you looked up the composer's name. What's his name? Partos? No. Yeah, Anthony Partos. Yeah. Uh, the uh, just and, and right off the bat too, the way that the the score sounds like an orchestra warming up when he's making his decision and getting that truck free. Uh, and just the, the string music and the way that during that chase scene, the volume of the music matches the volume of the engines. Uh, and then the variety of the music later on as well. Mm-hmm. There, there's that weird bass kind of pulse groove when they're waiting for the train and that the gospel music when they buy the gasoline and the ammo, yeah. uh, that, that, uh, Carrie Hilson, Pretty Girl Rock song, when he's sitting in the desert in the car at night. You know, you can just imagine that maybe he and Henry listened to that song. Or I mean, it was it's such a, a disconnect, that weird beat, uh, that weird poppy song. Um, so, uh, and I love, I especially love the sound design in those early car chase moments going on, because it's so incredibly well done. Um, but the, the sound designer is a dude named Sam Petty. And Sam Petty actually also um, did some of the themes for the soundtrack. So so uh, uh, Anthony – oh, God, what did you say his name was? Partos? Yeah, I think Anthony Partos uh, is responsible for most of the composition of the score. But Sam Petty, who did the sound design, um, also did some of the musical themes. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, actually, Andy Partos also did the the music for um, Animal Kingdom, but but um, but Sam Petty, this guy, did like these two themes for Ray that 
go through the movie. So Ray has like his own themes that were composed. Oh. So uh, so I, w- I want to say that so, that while well, Andy Pardos did most of the composition, which I really really loved, uh, Sam Petty did this great sound design for it, and apparently also composed r- some like Ray's themes that run through the movie. Can you hum a little of that for us? Da 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 da. da. I don't think that's right. Oh, sorry, my mistake. <laughs> Uh, I saw, uh, so the LA Film Festival was going on, uh, this past week or so. I saw three movies at the LA Film Festival, every single one of which was horrible. I'm never going to any more stupid film festival movies I didn't see. <laughs> oh my god, I'm so annoyed. One of them was a post-apocalypse movie. Uh, <laughs> And it was, it starred this little boppy 17 year old girl. And so the premise of this apocalypse is that water has run out. And, uh, that, uh, <laughs> that if you have a source of water, it is precious because there's no more rain. Um, I think they actually shot this in Oregon in the desert up there. We've run out of rain. Where Kelly Reichert had shot, uh, Meek's Crossing. And, and here are these people doing this little teeny bopper post apocalypse where, uh, and so here's the, that's, that's the apocalypse. There's no water. There's one well. It's super precious and you have to hide on it. And then the evil bad guys are going to come try to take it from you. So you have to be very quiet and hide in the house. At any rate, Everybody in this movie, their hair was so completely like washed. Their skin was like scrubbed, and they looked young and, and healthy. And they shot at Seattle. Uh, God, it was so annoying. I was so. Uh, but I loved in this movie, like you know, uh, Robert Pattinson's teeth. Yeah, like that's so awesome when they when they do that when they make it look like these people actually haven't been eating, haven't been washing. It's the texture of their skin. It's the opposite of a vanity piece. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly, yeah. Uh, I, I agree with you guys. He was really good in this, by the way. Wait, uh, K- Kelly, have you seen him in other things? No, I never have. I had the same experience you guys did. I was like, wow, I, maybe I should see... See those Twilight movies now, I guess. Cosmopolis? Oh, yeah, Cosmopolis. Oh, no, I don't want to watch fucking Twilight. Come on, I thought it. for sure you'd gone to see Twilight with your mom or something at some point. No, not even me. Uh, I do have one issue, though. Everything being functional and it looks realistic. Why the heck... Did nobody in this movie have sunglasses? <laughs> what? They're Australians. Uh, uh, you need. To, it was bright and sunny. They never wear them. Mad well, Max didn't have them. Um, Indiana Jones didn't have them. He was in India in places where you don't need them. It just seemed, you know, in this this, <laughs> this sun baked outback, everybody yeah. should have sunglasses. I understand why they don't because it's you don't want your actors hidden behind sunglasses. But the second time I saw it, I was like, wait a minute. It's awfully bright out there. Shouldn't they have sunglasses? And nobody did. But I'm okay with that. Uh, you know, those those cargo shorts and, and sockless shoes go a long way. Uh, oh, I, lo- I love that aspect of it. Watching <laughs> watching those guys, uh, like, stamp about toughly in shorts, it's really hard yeah. to take something seriously. <laughs> hey, I, I wear shorts like that, Dingus. Don't I look, like, all tough and post-apocalyptic and super survivor? Yeah, stuff. especially in your flip flops. I mean, that's like when when he steps out of the car and he's like, "I'm in shorts," and then even when you're holding a shotgun and you're wearing right, shorts, right. it just feels like, oh, "Come on." That's like some. It's like something Kevin Smith would wear or something. You're dressing like Kevin Smith in the apocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly Wand in uh in this movie where there's no more rain. Um at one point they have to distract the bad guys and they're like, How can we distract the bad guys? And then someone picks up a slingshot and a, a charcoal, you know, that you would like barbecue with, and he says, Hey, wait a minute. In a world without water, 
What's the one thing people are afraid of? Slingshots? <laughs> they know they're going to light fire and then burn things. Oh. But I really think that's such a terrible line because, no, in a world without water, I think I, fire would they be They wouldn't see that, though. I would be more afraid of dying of thirst if there was no water. That's like us saying if there was a world with only one sun, what would be interesting? Um. Isn't it? I don't get that analogy, but I'll accept that. Kelly. Like we wouldn't accept if we already live in that world, we wouldn't go in a world without water. Yeah, there's plenty of things to be afraid of. Yeah, right. it's not the one thing people are afraid of is hey, something's going to catch fire. There are far bigger problems. If you have no water, then you're not going to be able to put out a fire. That's not the one thing people are afraid of. It's maybe on a list of the 20 things you'd be afraid of. Maybe in the top 15, I would say. They used it all in the shampoo, huh? Vets are cool because they can get me horse tranquilizers. One, two, three, not only you and me, got one lady that feels and I'm caught in between. The dog in Road Warrior was so awesome. I love it. Yes! Was it the same one for Bad Max? I don't know. How am I going to know? Did you like those movies? Did they hold up? Did you like those movies? No, I only saw I only saw Road Warrior two, and the dogs in the cages reminded me of that little dog whose name is Dog, I think. Wait, you didn't see Mad Max the first one? No. Oh, that's totally what's wrong with you? Totally different movie from a different era. It's funny. It's two. What's the year before? And he's dubbed by an American. It's it's really weird. And his name is Rockatansky, and he gets to meet the other cops, and there's a good ending with the fucking. What's wrong with you? I'll just see the the Sam Worthington version or whatever. Mad, Mad Max really is not a apocalypse movie. It's a it's a revenge movie. It's a seventies revenge movie. Every movie's a western except that Seth MacFarlane thing. <laughs> <laughs> a million ways to die in Australia. Um. All right. Well, Kelly, want let's do a three by three. Ah. Yeah. yeah. Let's get on this thing. Huh. You know what? Let's do this. Huh. I think it was an unexpectedly good topic, even though my choices are not good. You know what else I saw at the Iowa Festival? Uh, <laughs> so there's this movie that's directed by oh God, Bo, Bojo Hong. Oh, God. I can't believe uh, – it's the Korean guy who did The Host, right? Uh, he adapted and, – and the reason I wanted to see this is uh, – I want to say Kelly Mc. Donald, I'm oh, sure what? What? It's the guy who wrote uh, a fantastic movie. Sydney Limit's last movie was Before the Devil Knows You're Dead. That was his last movie, right, Dingus? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, uh, and I think Kelly McDonald is the guy who wrote that screenplay, and he adapted some uh, French comic book. What? Is that all right? I thought Kelly McDonald was the hot, brave girl. <laughs> you might be right. You Wait are right. Uh, I, I was getting turned on. Oh, Big <laughs> top. Yeah. What is that guy's name? Why am I getting a boner? When <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Really oh wild. my god, Kelly Masterson. Good lord. Jesus. So Kelly Masterson wrote Before the Devil Knows You're Dead. And so he adapted some French comic book about the world ended to global warming and all the survivors are on a train and now let's do social <laughs> hey. commentary. Um, so this is comic book that Kelly Masterson adapted <laughs> okay. for a Korean director who did the host. And the, the movie is called Snowpiercer. Oh. It's, got, it's got quite a cast. It's Chris Evans, John Hurt, uh, Tilda Swinton, uh, Ed Harris, that's kind of a spoiler, pretend I didn't tell you that. Uh, and then, oh, Jamie Bell. Um, and it is, it, it, like, watching Snowpiercer, I'm like, who is this movie for? Who is going to want to see this? 
What, it, it's, it's weird and confused. So for whatever reason, Miramax picked it up and they're releasing it here now. And I think they're going to try to trick people who like Captain America into seeing this weird social commentary French comic book adaptation by a Korean director who puts a fairly strong amount of Korean commentary in with a couple of characters. Uh, Hmm, I like Captain America. Maybe I'll like a Korean movie. Exactly. Go see. Uh, no, no, because they they don't sell it that way. It's it's Snowpiercer, an action movie starring Chris Evans. Mm. Oh, and I, Winter Soldier and Snowpiercer sound kind of similar. Exactly. Right. You think yeah. that? So he Kelly fights Hunt, Snowpiercer in Captain America Three. When right. Black, that's the next villain. Right. Black. This might be the next Captain America. Um, but yeah, Mr. Crazy in the Iceman. There you go. Clooney's going to be Snowpiercer in the fifth one. We hope. Rosemary. All right, so anyway, that's another terrible movie I saw. I can't believe that. You saw Snowpiercer and at the L.A. Film Festival. It uh, was a big deal there, yeah. Miramax is really wanting you to go see it, too, Kelly Wait, Bond. What's your, what was your vow again? I'm never going to see film festivals again? What did you say? Well, Dingus and I have been to Sundance before, and it's yes. an awesome opportunity, and you'll see Skig. like three or four things that are fantastic. But what I constantly forget is that you also see about 12 things that are utterly horrible. Right. Um, yeah, it's like watching auditions. Kind of, yeah. Like, here are people auditioning to be filmmakers. Yeah. It's like that. They're watching resident, yeah. Uh, the Q&A helps, I think. Well, if you got to see a movie a week like us... It's just more like more work, isn't it? I watch enough bad movies without having to go to film festivals and do it. No, but when you go to something like some Sundance, it's like going away to camp. Yeah. I mean, and you get it sort of incepted into like all these movies, and you start to think movies that aren't that great are really great because you're you've watched so many movies, and something that's slightly good really takes you away. And I mean, it's this this whole I, I don't know Stockholm syndrome thing. But yeah, the LA Film Festival is just, hey, I'm going to drive downtown and see a movie. Right. <laughs> is it weird that it's called Sundance, but that was that Robert Redford's name in like a studio movie? No. Whoa, wait, what? Nothing. Kelly Wands, let's do a three by three. What do you got for us? I've got the three best appliances ever put in movie movie scene scenes. Thanks. <laughs> All right. I ran out of words, so I thought I'd double up. I see. All right. So it, they don't have to be fake. They're just appliances ever put in movie, movie scenes. Absolutely not. My number two favorite, or number three, sorry. <laughs> That's good enough. Eager to get past this one. Yeah. My number three favorite is the, the blender uh, that the babies almost fall into in the change-up. What? So there's a weird so the change up again, I will tell you Kelly Wand, you should see it. The change well, up is, well, I didn't know this happened. There's a lot of crazy R rated like stuff. Space. Okay, R rated baby blender scene. And one of the things is uh so uh, Ryan Reynolds and uh and um Dead Gummit, uh what's You like this topic and you have something that awesome as your number three? Oh uh, well, I've got more. Uh, Ryan Reynolds and um, Jason, Bateman. Jason Bateman. Jason Bateman, right? They, they switch bodies. Jason Bateman is a family man, and he's got two little baby twins at home with Leslie Mann and his precocious young daughter. Uh, so Ryan Reynolds is in his body, and he has to mind these two little babies. Precocious. And the little babies, he just puts them up on the kitchen counter, and the babies like are picking up knives, and the, there's a blender going, what? and the garbage. To, maybe it's a garbage. Uh, did they switch bodies with serial killers? The babies. The babies just don't know. They're just playing with what's at hand, and there's this all this like baby peril action that's part of why it's an R-rated movie, in addition to nudity and language, of course. But it has enough baby peril that it gets an R-rated. Peril. 
as it's known <laughs> in the industry. So, in, uh, in they the, all died. Is the Toy Story save them? The babies are fine, Kelly. <laughs> oh my God, <laughs> the Toy Story save them. <laughs> well, it sounds pretty suspenseful for a body switch comedy movie. I'm sick of you guys having not seen the change up. I expect you guys to work on that this week. Well, you know, you showed me that one scene and it was really good, but then afterwards I was all, if he's just showing me the, the this this is, scene's really Tell good. Tell you what, I've just lives. explained to you that there's serious baby peril with blenders and knives. Okay, yeah, that's a good point. See? Oh, I better watch it then. I'm, I suck. Dingus, what's your number two favorite appliance in a movie? Three. Three. Jesus. All right, my number two, I'm sorry, three. Here's a quote from it. I think, Sebastian, therefore I am. Uh, wait. It's obviously a fucking Blade Runner. It is fucking Blade Runner. The, uh, the, and I went with fake appliances because that was your original intent. So my favorite, uh, third favorite fake appliance is that egg boiling beaker dealie that JF Sebastian has just like back there, just sort of like boiling eggs for some reason. And that, <laughs> Uh, then Pris goes over and reaches in to show. After, by the way, Roy says, you know, we're not computers. We're not just going to do little tricks for you. Okay, Pris, go do a little trick for him. And she goes and reaches into that weird boiling egg thing. Because I'm, I, I cook. I do a lot of cooking and I love cooking. <laughs> uh, but I, I, I do not know how to boil an egg. That's something for what reason. I don't know why it is. I've, I've, only boiled an egg successfully once, um, and, and it's just not something that I do. And I love like egg salad sandwiches. I like the idea of a soft boiled egg for breakfast, but I just don't know how to do that. So I love the idea that there's this weird beaker that JF Sebastian has that is just boiling eggs somewhere in the background. Um, and it's just so super cool looking. I don't know if it's on the stove or if it's just its own appliance, but there you go. Is a Voight Kampf test an appliance? It is, is it now. Re- is a replicate an appliance? Kelly Wan, what is your number three or number two favorite appliance in a movie? We're just going to skip your number three favorite. My uh, my number three isn't that good, so you probably. Oh okay. But I was going to ask Dingus what happens when he tries to boil eggs. Like, does it just explode, or does an alien come out, or? No, it's just not that. It's just that I don't. I don't know what it is. I I, I cook a huge variety of things, but there's what about a couple of things. That I have, uh, yeah, I poached eggs. I do all kinds of things. But from the king's woods. Oh uh, yeah, king's hen house. Sorry. And from uh, your and from your nest. <laughs> hey, too soon. To God's ears. Wait. So okay. That's a real appliance though, because it's just a boiling pot. It's not just a boiling pot. It's this weird tall glass beaker that that is boiling eggs. It's just a weird thing that's going on there in the background. That's not something you would find in anybody's kitchen. So uh, it's not an appliance I've ever heard of or seen. I don't know of an egg-boiling beaker that exists in real life. If it did exist, I might buy it so that I could boil eggs more easily. There's got to be a way to just get them pre-boiled, you know? Yeah, sure. It's called going to McDonald's and getting an egg muffin. Once we're out of water, uh, or we run out of water and rain, like Tom was predicting, we won't be able to boil eggs as easy. My number three is a dog food feeder from the beginning of Back to the Future. I don't know what that means. At the very beginning of Back to the Future, where Doc Brown has that like thing, that machine that opens the can of dog food. I don't know what it is. Could you describe it to me? Because I don't remember that. It like feeds the dog food from a can using a metal arm 
that puts it in a bowl. Sounds like something from the Jetsons. Yeah. My number three favorite is the blender in your next. Now we've gone back to number three. Number two. Dad, come at math, man. Let's keep it straight. Uh, it's the blender in your next. So these are your three favorite blenders? Um, no. The number one is a toaster, I'm afraid. So like with 21, you didn't carry through a theme. I didn't, I was not aware that that was a requirement, and I'm not. If, I said so. At least you said there had to be a theme. Yeah, I didn't know there was. Okay, be my, mass theme is, the my theme is these are all appliances that are in the kitchen. None no, of these but, would be in the laundry room. But once you go blender, blender, I'm like, oh, good. There's going to be another blender, just like nope. that. Twenty-one and nope. up, and twenty-one nope. grams, and nope. twenty-one. It's a toaster. Nope. nope, it's a toaster. Tom's like a defective three by three appliance. <laughs> yeah. Do you have the receipt? Take me back. Yeah. Or, maybe I'm going to regift him. Dingus, what's your number two favorite uh, appliance? All right. My number two favorite appliance, uh, let me give you a quote from it. Um, you have entered the name Not Sure. <laughs> I love that one. See, Tom? Dingus takes things seriously, and you're a big jerk. What? My, my number, you heard why, me. Why is that not serious? A His baby falling friends. into a blender is a serious thing. What Sharni Vincent does with the blender in your next is also a very serious thing. I'm taking this very seriously. How can you not love what happens to that blender in your next? How can you not love that? Oh, so what? Dingus does things correctly. Oh, let me give you a quote from your next. Uh, you're next. <laughs> so that was blenders to your next setting. Huh. The not sure one's really good. All right, so this is the Identity Processing Program of America from Idiocracy. Um, and this is that uh, the tattooing appliance that he has to thrust his arm into. And I just, I just love that whole, that whole scene where, where the computer is asking him what his name is. I'm not sure what this is, so can you confirm that your first name is not? No, I can't. No, my first name is not not. Okay, confirmed. And, and where he's trying to say, can you contact your supervisor to stop this? And then it just goes ahead and tattoos his arm. It's not sure. I just love that scene so much. I like the hospital uh, red cash register thing too, with the sick icons. And I was, you know, I was, I was kind of waffling between that and the weird Carl's Jr. ATM thing. Um, but I, I just love that, that thrusting his arm into the. Uh, the tattooing thing and having to just be caught with it. And can, can we go back? Can we go back? Uh, can I get your supervisor? And then he just gets tattooed. I, I, I have such a warm place in my heart for idiocracy. Me too. I guess Tom doesn't since he's stonily silent. No, I love that movie. Oh, uh, it's, it's, uh, is there a better Mike Judge movie? I don't think so. Uh, guess not. Is there a better? I'm not an Office Space fan, oddly enough. Uh, Idiocracy is a masterpiece. Office Space has good parts. And Extract, same thing. Extract is kind of weird, and I appreciate. By the way, Kristen Wiig is kind of awesome in Extract. Uh, But Extract is kind of weird. But it's Ryan Reynolds. Did you like Silicon Valley? I I actually I don't know that it's any good, but I really love it. That's Mike Judge. Yeah. Yeah. Oh well, I like it too. On that, I might have watched it. He, he he directs and produces it and writes it, and I really, really like it. It's super dumb, and I really like it. A guy – oh, never mind. It's a spoiler. I don't want to spoil it for Tom. He sounds pretty intrigued. No, I'll see it if it's Mike Judge. Eventually. 
I never got into King of the Hill. Yeah, me neither. But Tom told me to really watch it closely to catch things. Tom? Who did you watch what? Whose number two is it? Kelly, it's your number two. Why don't you give it to us now? Give give us your number two. My number two, I'm going to do a line from him. Beep, boop, boop, beep, beep. See, I knew this was going to happen. Tom. That's our, he's an appliance. I told he's, you this it, was going to happen. I said early, I said this is going to happen. First off, I'm doing C-3PO. Secondly, no. he's He's got a fire extinguisher. He can open doors. He, he's got something. He can fly. He can fly. fly. He can fly. He can fly. No, once he lost He those. can save uh, lightsabers. He can be a light, like a lightsaber device. He can fly higher than Yoda. He probably them. has force powers, too. He might have midichlorians inside of him. Uh, so what movie are we talking about, Kelly? All of them. Yep. Kelly has to choose a movie. Um, episode 7. Episode 7. All right. So they My number one left. favorite appliance in a movie is the toaster in Born Supremacy. Ah, uh, that's a good the one. one. that he puts the magazine in. And that's the house. not as good as Dingus's, but acceptable. Okay, thank you. Dingus, what's your favorite appliance in a movie? All right, here's a quote from it. Uh I don't want to sound like a queer or nothing, but I think unicorns are kick-ass. Uh, I don't know what this is. Am I dumb? No, not at all. Uh, here's another quote from it. Penetration is when a penis enters an orifice, Joe. Uh, is that true? No. Oh. Um, but- what's an orifice? About, about five, five pounds. pounds. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. So this, uh, this particular appliance is the um, Orgasmerator from Orgasmo. <laughs> and I think it's an excellent appliance for giving people orgasms. What's the unicorn lion who says that? In what context? There's this no, dude who's taking stills on the uh, on the film set. And he keeps keeps saying weird stuff to people like, I, dude, I, I don't want you to think I'm queer or nothing, but that was really great work. And at one point, you know, he he talks about like having seen a movie, um, like I don't know, Narnia or something. He's like, uh, I don't I don't want to sound queer or nothing, but I think unicorns are kick ass. Uh, <laughs> he's just this weird guy with this thousand yard stare who's constantly taking still photos. So this is Orgasmo, and this is the Orgasmatron. I think that's what it's called. Or no, it's the Orgasmerator. So it's a prop, though. It's not a real... Um, no, no, no. Because uh, Chodo Boy, um, the the sidekick, and if you want, you know, Tom's mentioned sidekicks earlier, this, uh, the sidekick of uh, of Joseph Young, the the guy who becomes the porn star, um, he he's actually this... This guy who has all these PhDs from MIT, and he's actually invented this o- orgasmerator. And he's at, in in the in the porn movie they're doing. There's a fake one, but he's 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 invented a real one that can actually that you can actually point at people and give them orgasms. And it and it figures. And I mean, it, it's kind of iffy whether this is an, an appliance or a weapon, uh, but given what Tom did with the toaster in the last thing, I think I, I'm comfortable with, with an appliance being a weapon. So uh, so Chota Boy has created a working orgasmerator, and and this this particular appliance I think is the most useful fake appliance. We think it's fake, who knows, uh, in movie history. 
Do you think would Princess Leia put the Death Star plans in R two D two? Like she just didn't know how to use it right, and that's why. I, oh, he also does that. That's right. He can record messages. That's a good point. It's like an answer. Like he's all, hang on. Like Luke has to like pry it out. Like it's think, stuck or something because she put I think it in. We need more appliances that can run away from us or fly away. Yeah. Kelly, okay. what's your number one fake appliance or real appliance in movie history? Um, I want to change my number two. I thought of a better one. Is that okay? Nope. Okay. You already chose one. episode seven and three PO for some reason. In Logan's run, where he has that sex roulette. Uh, teleport booth at the beginning, and that's where he meets Jenny Aguder by like calling in. Aguder? Jenny Aguder. Aguder? Jenny Aguder. Like Steve Gutenberg. Jenny Aguder. <laughs> Jeez, Kelly Wand. <laughs> Maybe it is that. I always assumed it was Jenny Aguder. Jenny Aguder. Now Jenny. you make her sound like a gem. I remember there, it, it gets that one dude, like he calls a dude first. Right. I feel like we're discussing that country in the cutter. If they can teleport, why does he need to run, though? That's my question. You can just teleport through the chat roulette thing. Tom, what's your number one? It is the toaster in Born Supremacy that kills... Is it Carl Urban? Who is he fighting in this? Oh, isn't it Martin Sokas? No, it it is Martin Sokas. Yeah, it's, it's Martin Sykes. Or Celeborn, as we know him. Yeah. Celeborn. So my number one is Orgasma. Kelly, what's your number one? It was um, whatever I said. Okay. The sex roulette thing. I thought we were cycling through again. I know. I was trying to trick Tom. But Clever. You just answered me. Didn't see that coming. Okay, listeners have. Grant Stewart writes, number three, Brave Little Toaster. Did you ever see that movie, Dingus? No. I never got past that title. I just was like, can't have anything in it. Too courageous. <laughs> Toaster is a super in this 1987 Disney cartoon. Hollywood greenlights the strangest stuff sometimes. What crazy st- mental fuck nugget comes up with this stuff? I'm assuming Kelly Wan was too young. Number two, we need to talk about Kevin. Not a Disney movie. The eponymous Kevin's sister can't find her guinea pig. Oh, Jesus. Go ahead. The creeping sense of dread as your imagination wanders as to what Kevin might have done to it climaxes when Tilda Swinton turns on the waste disposal and the sink fills with blood. Ew. What? That's not an appliance, is it? Yeah, Uh, a garbage disposal is an appliance. We don't have this waste disposal things in Britain. What's the point of them? Do Americans actually have them, or do they just exist in movies <laughs> as a MacGuffin for things like engagement rings, children's hands, and rodents to be lost down? What do they achieve? The, Flint, the Flintstones had that elephant, huh, Tom? Uh, I don't watch cartoons. Sorry. It was live action. They had a live action elephant. Oh, the Rosie O'Donnell disposal. Flintstones. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Who played Wilma in that? Uh, that was Elizabeth Perkins. Oh, ooh, I kind of want to see it now. Redhead. Who played uh, uh, the the uh, Barney's wife? Oh, that yeah, Rosie O'Donnell, right? Rosie and O'Donnell. Then, was Barney Rick Moranis? Yeah. Yeah. And John Goodman. Man, that's got to be an awesome movie. But there's I a prequel. See it. The, in the prequel, the what's the ugly bald one, Stephen? He's Barney, and in the, the other one. Ew. And they just got a guy who looks like John Goodman. Huh. Number one, Heat. 
Al Pacino's magnificent <laughs> strikes again as he comes home to find he's been cuckolded by Ralph. Ralph's wearing his clothes, drinking from his coffee mug, and has been porking his wife. But Pacino goes absolutely ballistic that he's watching his TV. He grabs his TV, puts it in his car, and leaves so he can hoof it out in the street later. Is it Ralph William Fickner, or am I misremembering that? I can't imagine Fickner getting owned by Pacino. Oh, come on. E. Two of them together, that would be awesome. Yeah, but we'd remember. You wouldn't even have to ask that, would you? Oh, you know, it wasn't William Fickner like a crime boss who had Henry Rollins working for him as his assistant. I don't think Ralph was William Fickner, but it's, he was in Heat. Yeah, isn't isn't that William Fickner in Heat? Henry Rollins is his, his like assistant. No. So is the appliance the TV? Yeah, because uh, Al Pacino's like, I'm not going to let you can sleep with my wife. I'm not going to let you watch my TV. Um, honorable mentions go to Super Troopers, a movie about stuff you do if you're in the police for saying enhance while zooming on something on a computer. Blade Runner, something, something, Science 7 from American Hustle. And all the space-saving gadgets in Corbin Dallas's apartment in The Fifth Element. Paul Weimer writes... This just in, by the way, Ralph was played by Xander Berkeley. Ah, okay, yeah. Actually, Grant Stewart said that in his email, but I forgot to tell you. I like Xander Berkeley. I do, too. We're Xander Berkeley fans on this podcast. Yeah. In what movie does Xander Berkeley allow an astronaut to fulfill his dream? Because of the size, <laughs> because of the size of the astronaut's penis. I think he comments on the Zardoz. size of the astronaut's penis. Planet of the Apes. Anyone? No. Dengus? It's got to be Armageddon. Nope. No, please. <laughs> I don't think Xander Those Berkeley... Aren't I don't think he's actually in Armageddon, which is I kind of sad. I thought you were going with the best deep core driller. No, uh, in Gattaca. Uh, He's the final obstacle that uh, Ethan Hawke has to deal with. And the guy's like, you know what, I'll let you go through. And it's Andrew Berkeley, if I'm not mistaken. There are no astronauts in Armageddon, hence there are no astronauts at Armageddon. (laughs) We have died, Pepsi. Paul Weimer writes, three best appliances. Well, I picked the same appliance, different movies. See, Tom? It'd be a lesson to you. Number three, in Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull, Indiana Jones, The Rock, survives a nuclear bomb test in a lead-lined refrigerator. That's a good one, huh? Tom, we're apologists for that. Did you know that? We being – are you including me in that? I'm not going to yeah. have to apologize for that movie. I thought you told me one because I said I always thought that part was kind of funny. Oh, no, I don't mind. Yeah, people hold that up as that's where yeah, I knew this was going to be a terrible movie. No, I knew it was going to be a terrible movie all along. That that refrigerator bit is the only thing that's yeah, I agree with remotely you. entertaining. Yeah, so you agree with me. So you just said you I thought, Well, when you said apologist, I thought you meant defending the movie as a yeah, whole. Yeah, yeah, I'm not gonna, no, just I'm the not refrigerator. Gonna, yeah, you're on your own with that, Kelly. No, that's, that's my favorite okay. prairie dog scene. Oh, God. Wow. <laughs> Those gophers are, what's the difference between a gopher and a prairie dog? About a halfway, half a. Nope. Bill Murray blows one of them up in um, Caddyshack. Yeah, no, it survives. Gopher. That's true. One of them, one of them grooves to Kenny Loggins. The other yeah. one doesn't. It just outsmarted uh, Ted Knight. Just Judge Smales. You went into way more detail. I can, I can. Understand. Number two in Ghostbusters: The Refrigerator of Dana Sigourney Weaver. You remember Dana? Can I predict his number one? Would that be Gosh? No. Is, is it the refrigerator in Requiem for a Dream? Ellen Burson's refrigerator? <laughs> no? Okay. Uh, no, it's a bigger one. All right, right. That's your hint. Okay. But the Ghostbusters one was possessed, so... 
Is that right. really fair? You know, well, it's not the refrigerator that's doing it. Well, Ellen Burson has, isn't there? She has this weird vision where the refrigerator doesn't it, it, like it's coming after her. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. That's not from the director of the Fountain Kelly Wand. Mm-hmm. They are similar scenes, though, and, and, and in many ways. And Noah, the Noah refrigerator, I think, is better though. They didn't have refrigerators back then. Aronofsky's Our Reitman. And Paul Weimer's number one that Tom didn't get. Tom, have you ever heard the word gormless before? Yeah. Isn't it from Firefly? The number one is, in the fifth element, the tiny apartment of Corbin Dallas, Bruce Willis, has a number of appliances that can move to hide in the walls or floor. I don't think the appliance knows it's hiding. But anyway, including the refrigerator freezer that he briefly has his commander and subordinate hide in. So I think he's talking about the top of the appliance, which is next week's topic. Whatever. Is the spaghetti machine, what's his name, hides in? In that one movie, does that count? Spaghetti machine? What's his name? Yeah, Rob Schneider. Doesn't he hide in the spaghetti machine? (laughs) Tom, what's he talking about? Make I don't know. I don't believe he's ever seen a Rob Schneider movie, so I don't... It's Judge Dredd, I think. Oh, that one. Oh, that is a Rob Schneider movie. I forgot. Yeah. yeah, he's in an action movie, Tom, Rob Schneider. But it's a Western, because Judge Dredd's like a gun. the one with, with Sandra Bullock, where every restaurant is Taco Bell. No, Demolition Man. No, right. Judge Dredd, Demolition Man. I remember that movie. Don't don't sigh at me, Kelly Wand. I've seen that. <laughs> Judge Dredd gets fro- unfrozen from time to go chase Wesley Snipes. Now his name's uh, what's his name in that? Is it in every restaurant? It's like Henry Primus or something. Well, Henry Primus Dredd. That's his last name. And Wesley Snipes' name is uh, Simon Phoenix. I remember. You bet. Classic villain from the Judge Dredd comics. They're graphic novels. <laughs> Has anyone ever said that to you, Tom? All the time, Kelly. Joe and Jelly. Oh, this one's winning. There's now uh, winning involved in 3 by 3s by the way, Tom. Uh, the science of an American hustle, technically a microwave, but the term science oven is much more endearing. It also helps that Jennifer Lawrence is saying it in those outfits. Oh, but what doesn't? The video game refrigerator and her... I haven't seen this movie yet, but I think I'm running out of statute of limitations time, huh? Video game refrigerator? While designing a mom-themed video game, Amy Adams is Oh! <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's good. That's actually good. I could not, for the life of me, I kept thinking about her and anything that I could bend to an appliance, right, right. but I couldn't do it. Yeah. Well, uh, it couldn't, couldn't the operate, is an operating system an appliance kind of one? Yeah, I don't know. No. They don't have keyboards, and it... It's different, uh, but... It's a little cigarette case. It's a little carrier that he uses a safety pin to perch up on his pocket. Is that That's his phone, though. It's just a weird phone. Is a phone an appliance? Well... Well, if a TV is, I guess so. Yeah. Is the Earth an appliance? Because I know... Mm. Wait. Response. Uh, Arthur Giovanni Angeli's number one is the coffee maker in History of Violence. Oh, that's... Oh. I don't know. Is a carafe an appliance or a dish? Because it's only the carafe, really. That well, not that how you say that word. What? Oh, no, Dingus did correct me on that. Kelly Wan, what do you call the part of a coffee maker that holds the coffee, the glass 
bulbous part. Oh, about half a henway. <laughs> what do you call that? Say that word. Carafe. Thank you. But what do you call uh, an import tax? A tariff. A tariff. <laughs> what do you call a, a zoo animal with a long neck and spots? Giraffe. What do you call a guy who wears a badge and goes into town? A sheriff. What do you call Kurt Russell's condition in Big Trouble in Little China? Miller time. Correct. So, coffee maker. I will now read the next listener submission, Tom. Awesome. And Dingus as well, but mostly Tom. I keep boring these zones out during my listener submission readings. Just read, you're fine. Wolfgang Schuster writes, I'm a longtime listener and huge fan of the podcast. You finally remember to write in. Great. His name's Wolfgang Wolfgang Schuster? Yeah. Awesome. That is. I don't know. What kind of character would Wolfgang Schuster be like in a movie? Uh, Like Taylor Lautner? Oh, that's mean. No, I'm thinking like... No, Vincent D'Onofrio would play him and he'd be the villain. Or anything Peter Stormari would play would be Wolfgang. Ooh, Peter Stormari is Wolfgang Schuster. I like that. Just hearing Peter Stormari say, my name is Wolfgang Schuster. Yeah, I'm, I'm liking that, Dingus. Yeah. Wolfgang Schuster was in that part of Captain America when the thing talked to him. <laughs> <laughs> I actually know what you're talking about, Kelly Wan. I got that reference. I was worried. Okay. So, he was in that thing, Tom. Played by Toby Jones. Yeah. yeah. That could have been my demonic device, but I went with that thing Captain America talked to, knowing Tom wouldn't know who Tommy Tommy Jones is. Tommy Jones, really? Tommy Lee. (laughs) Tommy Jones. (laughs) Tommy Lee Jones as Truman Capote. Tom, how do you say that? Truman Capote's last name. Truman Capote. Okay. (laughs) Baron von Wolfgang writes, (laughs) JK, like, being dumb. My second favorite appliance in a movie is the ghost trap from Ghostbusters. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Ghost See, but is, that, is that just an accessory that goes with the proto-pack? Or uh, is it like a rat trap? No, that's, that's, I think that's useful. I like that. I looked at the trap, right? That's Ford. For my favorite appliance, I'll give you a quote. A negative of a meat popsicle. This is the most popular one. It's weird to me. So my favorite appliance in a movie is the refrigerator, shower, and fifth element, both for its great use of space and a tiny future apartment for seeing Mila Jovovich coming out of it, soaking wet. I was tempted to include the three seashells from Demolition Man. Tom? The Judge Dredd movie. We know it. That's what they use for toilet paper, three seashells. Get it, Tom? At the end, they're still talking about it. Like, get ready for the sequel. There's a part where uh, John Grease as the villain. Is that how you say his name, by the way? G-R-I-E. John Spartan, that was his name. Do we know how to say his name? Who? No. John Grease? Do you guys not know who that is? Wasn't he John in, like... Grease? <laughs> he was one of uh, Disco Dazzler's uh, super villains. <laughs> oh, I, I, know, I thought we knew him from something. At any rate, there's in the world without water, there's a scene where he picks up a, a seashell and holds it to his ear and kind of chuckles. That's uh, lame. Yeah, it's nice. Too. No, it's not, Dingus. It was terrible. Oh, no, but it, it's... But Dingus like it. Dingus, water. You should see this movie, Dingus, where it stopped raining, and this, this little 17-year-old cheerleader-type character has to run around and fight in the apocalypse. In the same movie? That's, that's the movie. Yeah. And John Grease... <laughs> Seashell and then that. No, it's later on in the, in the movie. You know what? 
sea salt, it doesn't sound like the sea shore. It just it, sounds like a kind of... Yeah, it's just going... Right. Is that like oh, really is, there, is, there, is the radio before you tune it to a station? Yeah, that's that sound okay. like the sea. Yeah, yeah. the seashells of television tuned to a dead channel, Tom. Isn't the sound inside a seashell just your own cochlea? Uh, <laughs> you're not using it right. You have to ask that. How are you supposed to use it? About half a henway. Alexander Burns writes, "Dear Kelly, Tom, and Mister Meow Rowski." My three by three choices are inspired by movies I absolutely love yet was terrified by as a child. I think I broke the topic. Luckily, I'm a liberal judge, like Dread, but don't really care because it was pretty much broken from the start. Oh, ouch! Snap! Sick burn, Kelly Wand. I may do some editing on this one since it's really long then, based on that. (laughs) That's what she said. The entire movie, Brave Little Toaster. (laughs) That terrified you. (laughs) How terrifying. Here's the IMDb storyline. A group of dated appliances that find themselves stranded in a summer home that their family had just sold decide to, a la The Incredible Journey, seek their young eight-year-old master. Children's film, which on the surface is a frivolous fantasy, but with the dark subtext of abandonment, obsolescence, and loneliness. And on that date, Kelly, they're fake because appliances don't talk and aren't cartoons. Number two, something like a garage door opener. Uh, the contraption allows Chunk through the front gate of Mikey's house in the Goonies. Oh, What's God. Imagine it. <laughs> <laughs> that just came out of Tom. ejaculated. <laughs> I mean, people oh, who have seen the Goonies, I don't understand. They're it is terrifying compared to the little toaster, I'll grant you. But what? It's I don't like the Goonies. I've never yeah. seen it. I, why would I ever see it? And people who see it tell me I should see it, and I don't trust them. I don't feel. I think. I think that you have to see the Goonies when you're ten years old and don't know any better. I saw it at ten and went. Eh, are you guys sure you like we like this? Right. There's a lot of cameos going on. Like it's like a Richard Donner movie, and at the end, like a troll is wearing like a Superman shirt. Isn't Jerry O'Connell in the Goonies, and he's overweight and like really young? <laughs> no, that's uh, Tom Katz. Josh Brolin is in there, isn't he? Yeah. Josh Brolin? A child Josh Brolin is in the Goonies? Yeah. I think so. I've never seen it either. Terry, uh, what was Lucas's girlfriend's name in the Corey Haim movie? The cheerleader? She's in it. Oh, Lucas? Like, Lucas? Yeah. yeah, Lucas? The Charlie Sheen movie? Yeah. Oh, holy cats. I can't remember. Anyway, someone from that's in Goonies, Tom, if that makes you want to see it at all. <laughs> Keep trying. And there's a Cindy Lauper song. Okay. Number one. <laughs> Having not seen this movie since I was a child, I couldn't believe it was the first one that popped into my head. I'm very hazy on the context, but in the movie The Young Sherlock Holmes, I think it's just called Young Sherlock Holmes. And, but anyway, <laughs> Watson's attacked by a refrigerator full of food. They had refrigerators at Sherlock Holmes. That's so dumb. Well, they also had flying machines that Da Vinci invented, I seem to recall. Hudson Hawk and Young Sherlock Holmes, same universe. Oh, yep. is that right? They yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, all right. We obviously know which one is the superior movie, and it's the one without Danny Aiello. What? That's right. That's not true. I loved Young Sherlock Holmes when I saw it. Wait, that, you know, like, I, that's my Goonies, by the way. My Goonies is Young Sherlock Holmes. All you people who are telling me to see the Goonies, no, you see Young Sherlock Holmes. Remember, he looks like Spielberg and Amy Irving. 
looks like his girlfriend. I actually don't remember young Sherlock Holmes very much, Kelly Wand. But you love it. That's why it's your Goonies. Yeah, that's why it's your Goonies. <laughs> All right. Uh, Who's in young Sherlock Holmes? Uh, that guy. Anyone famous? No. Robert Pattinson, I think. Remember the part where the you guys should see glass. it. I'm, you guys should totally see Young Sherlock Holmes. Uh, what's the, with the stained glass, Kelly Wand? Wait, you, me, and Dingus should see it. Or yep. The listeners? Yep. But everyone, it's my Goonies. I think you guys should all see what's it. What's your favorite part of it? Since you like this so much, it's the part with the flying device thing that Da Vinci invented that that flies. Isn't there a guy named Professor Wax Flatter in that? And he's the inventor of the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it travels through time and flies. <laughs> wow. It totally trumps anything that the flying machine does. Flying's the least talk. of its abilities. Yeah. Well, at the time, they probably thought, if we can get a machine to fly, we'll probably go through time, too, just because it's that impossible. Who even directed Young Sherlock Holmes? Is that like a Robert Zemeckis movie or something? And, uh, I think it was Joe Dante. Oh, God. Well, Chris I, mean, okay, no. I think it was Chris Columbus. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It, was, it does sound... Oh. I might have to take back what I'm saying here. All right, carry on, Kelly Wand. I'm sorry. Columbus. God. Horrible. Uh, Finding the clip online, it seems as though Watson and Sherlock Holmes lose each other's way in a mystical cemetery where Watson comes across a tomb, breaks open into a fridge of food. What was that movie we saw? Was it Legion, where they go to the, the graveyard for no reason? The one with Nicolas Cage. No. Uh, you know, season of the Witch? Oh. I know no one remembers. Okay, food that comes alive, Watson grabs. Uh, some, some, Gulliver's Travels. Kelly, this one's fake because dead people don't need to eat food and refrigerators didn't exist in the time period of the movie. Uh, young Sherlock Holmes is from the director of The Bay. Oh, wow. Barry Levinson? <laughs> yeah. Holy crap, really? <laughs> Chris Columbus wrote it, but uh, yeah, it's a Barry Levinson movie. And Wait, Chris Columbus wrote The Bay? No, he wrote uh, Young Sherlock Holmes, and no one famous is in it. I don't recognize any of these names. Everybody who was in Young Sherlock Holmes, their career apparently ended there. <laughs> and Barry Levinson so that's moved on. <laughs> Man, I take back, maybe I should see The Goonies after all. Good Lord. Based on the fact that young Sherlock Holmes exists. That I thought I would champion it and didn't realize what I was doing. David Henderson writes, hey guys, I love this topic. I had quite a short list. <laughs> Number three, here's a line. Have you finished cutting his hair? I thought you might want 650 from his pocket. Viggo Mortensen says this line while he's processing a frozen dead guy in Eastern Promises. What's the fucking appliance? Oh, sorry. We can see how important two appliances are for mafia business in this scene. First, we have a freezer for preserving a dead body, and then we have a hair dryer for thawing it, thawing out. <laughs> There's so much reading. Just enough to achieve a wallet. Tom, remember that part? More than I remember anything from young Sherlock Holmes. In my list, I wanted, number two, I wanted to have a made-up appliance, so I'd like to choose the thing that transfers the parasite from Amy Simons to the pig in upstream color. What? That's a, that's a good one, yeah. I think. It's like this weird thing in a van. Yep. Yeah. Up to this point in the movie, everything was incredibly creepy for me, and the scene with the sampler removing the worm from Simons continued that feeling. Number one, Sharni Vinson's use of a blender in your next... 
was awesome. as stunning and impressive as she was. I won't spoil anything, but I like a girl who can make homemade mayonnaise and cut a tomato at the same time. <laughs> huh, Tom? Oh, yeah. Thanks for reading. Wait. Okay. She's thanking us. Josh, dude, not sure what you had in mind here. Your comment about the toothpaste thing <laughs> makes it sound like you're looking for wacky inventions, but I couldn't think of any I liked. Inventions are too Ted for me. Anyway, appliances. I'm assuming he's not referring to the teddy bear movie, and he's talking about the Prometheus thing. Good <laughs> Number three, Blade Runner, that clear glass egg boiler. Oh, good. And it grabs an egg out of... Do we see listeners who guess what we say should win something? All right, what does he win? He wins an egg. He can have. I'm going to throw him a hot egg, and we'll see how long he can hold it. <laughs> or a script I don't have, like the wrong script. Remember that prize? Huh? I did receive a movie that I almost threw out, and then briefly considered giving it away as a prize. But then I watched it and thought, "Oh, good lord, I'm not going to." There's no point sending this stupid thing to anyone. So uh, there's a movie. There's there's a direct. Is this the why is this in the trash one? It was good. no no that one got sent out. Somebody <laughs> won that one. Uh, this one was going to go in the trash, and I wouldn't. It, there's it shouldn't have been rescued. So the, there's a director named Andrew Trauke, I believe, who did a movie called Black Water, which is about a, a crocodile oh, yeah. who trees these three people. I liked it. I yeah, yeah, it's a good Water. movie. Yeah, Blackwater's awesome. Yeah. Um, but then he did a movie called The Reef, which I've talked about before. Uh, yeah, as yeah, a classic yeah. example of a movie that shouldn't Seven be longer minutes. than five minutes. Yeah, ten minutes tops. Three p or three, four people, I think, get dumped in the water, and uh, there's a great white shark. And it should eat them all in five minutes, and the movie should be over. But not so. The reef goes on way longer. Uh, he also did a little short in a movie called The ABCs of Death that I didn't understand. And I think it's a first-person view of somebody drowning. Now, he has done a movie called The Jungle, which was sent to me by the, the PR firm. Uh, it's a found footage movie about uh, a guy who's trying to save the leopards in the jungles of, of Indonesia. And when he goes out there to save them, uh, he gets attacked by like a forest demon that kills him. And that's it. And then the movie's over. And it's so found footage. a fear of leopards. No, because there's actually there is a couple of shots of leopards that look really cool. It taps into our fear of people in really cheesy costumes that are supposed to look like forest demons. It's like a monkey. It's like what if a dude wore a monkey costume and then ran around in the woods and you shot footage of people looking at him? There you a go. leopard or wait. A giraffe would be camouflaged if it stood in front of a leopard. Very good, Kelly Wan. <laughs> that right there is one of science's greatest mysteries. You're welcome, Darwin. Uh, number two from Josh, Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. The TV the kid's watching when Shamrock makes his head melt. I would have assumed the mask would be the appliance he's talking about. But he means the TV tube, because it taps in our fear of picture tubes. Think about it. Ringu, Sadako, Tom? Samara. Climbs out of a TV with a picture tube. Poltergeist tube again. Compared to that, what's the horror potential of a flat screen? Uh, that's a good point. But monitors, huh, Tom? Like in uh, Stay Alive. Number one, eraser head. Yes. Tom, what? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> that's your review of eraser head? Or the TV? I prefer my later David Lynch. I can't imagine. Come on, eraser head has got to be so tedious at this point. Dude, you're crazy. Really? Yeah. All right. Are you Remember just a Jack Nance fan? Is that what you, what you got? Um, I've seen it. 
I think I saw it like a few years ago, and it was totally holding up. Mm, His date with – come on. What? You're crazy. I just think David Lynch's weirdness just for the most part doesn't work for me. But Eraserhead, it's firing off. It's, it's the first one. But it just feels like something you have to sit through, not something wild. No, it's not. It's not oh, you don't like the grandma tossing salad? You don't like those sets? Well, if you're talking about tossing salad, no. It's a period piece. I'm sure that it's no the straight story. It's B- Charles Bukowski got uh, Z Channel. It's like that first cable station, like movie station. And then the first thing he saw in it was a racer head, and he was like, oh, that explains cable's, a lot. Yeah. Cable's awesome. It's, this is the best thing that's ever happened. It's going to change our lives. And he said he never saw anything good on again. I would actually like to watch a movie of Charles Bukowski watching a racer head. Hey. That's what I want to see. Yeah. That you should see. Sissy Spacek helped him make that movie. Eraserhead? Yeah. How? Uh, like uh, yeah, she produced it. Oh, okay. Does that make you like it? Do you guys know about a movie called Raggedy Man? Yeah. No. That's Sissy Spacek, right? It's yeah, like some, it is. I remember seeing that on cable a lot and wondering, like, should I go back? It's like about some guy who's like deformed and he's like yeah. terrorizing the town, but then it turns out no and he helps her at the end, right? Yeah. I should see that again. Eraserhead, his ra- his irradiator. <laughs> I guess it's just radiator. Sorry. Um, that was my fuck up. Hero radiator. The radiator that has the weird shit girl in it on a tiny stage. I had a radiator like that in my first apartment in Toronto, but I returned it and got one with a tiny stripper. <laughs> Come on, Tom, that's good. Let's yeah, like I do remember that weird little musical number appearing in, in Eraserhead. In heaven, everything's awesome. I'm Lego moving Eraserhead a little bit. But anyway, it was cool for about six months, but then she disappeared and stuck me with her fifth of the rent and her shitty cat. I heard they renovated later, and now it's all baseboard heaters. Kelly, I changed my mind. If this is your new leaf, don't let anybody stand in your way. Keep it weird, brah. See, Tom? They understand what I'm trying to say. They certainly do. With my podcasting. First, I echo Dave Henderson from last week's podcast when he says that your movie recommendations are the only ones I care about. I don't know why I said it snippily. I have 30 movies on my to-see list, and they're all thanks to you. Don't forget to put young Sherlock Holmes on that. Tom's Goonies. I'm assuming, since he knows I'm reading it, he's referring only to me, though, and not you. P.S., I typed that on a Tuesday, and then on Wednesday, I attempted to watch Wrong Cops and then Rubber. I got about 15 minutes into each. I put Wrong Cops when the cop let part of his sandwich fall from his mouth. <laughs> that was his breaking point. And Rubber when the binocular people tried to act. Eh. That's, that's like seven minutes into Rubber. Jesus. <laughs> binocular people, please. <laughs> Oh, my God. Some of those are actual actors, by the way. I, I know this for a fact. I've seen them in other things. If you don't like sandwiches dropping, do watch 22 Jump Street. Ah, uh, me Q-tip. <laughs> Anyhow, I'm starting to come around on that movie time. I think Dingus might have been he's easier highnessing me on 22 Jump Street a little bit. I'm starting to slip. Okay. What happened? Not interested. Dave Perkins... Anyhow, appliances, Blues Brothers, Elwood uses a coat hanger to make his own toaster oven. Oh, that's Sorry. good. I was trying to think of different, th- like, little little inventions, and I, and like I, and I had this. 
yeah, the, I had this mental image of somebody like doing toast with some sort of weird wire thing, and I couldn't quite, it, I couldn't bring it into focus. I think Dave's got it. Yeah, Dingus, if you like that kind of stuff, I got a movie for you. It's called MacGruber. You should check it out. Uh, I'm not sure I've ever heard of that. Yeah, I know you don't like Kristen Wiig movies. Nope. Unless I know like you hate comedy. Yeah, we don't like things that are funny. Now you think Val Kilmer's a bad actor. Mm, I love Ryan Philippe. Is he in that movie? He puts celery in his butt. Are there jokes about parking? Speed him. His butthole. Best wedding. Um, I guess we haven't won him over. Uh, El Woods, coat hanger. I, I, I like that. That's a good choice, Dave. Brave little toaster. Jesus Christ. Okay, forget what I just said. (laughs) This film is entirely centered on an appliance. Rumble in the Bronx. Jackie Chan uses two different refrigerators and a chest freezer to defeat his foes. I can't believe nobody's chosen the movie Hardware. I don't like that movie. It's not an appliance. What do you mean you don't like that movie? I saw it right before Goodfellas, and it was like, like on a double feature. The Richard Stanley science fiction thing. Yeah, I was like, Goodfellas is the good one. Well, they're, they're different. It's like apples and oranges. It's yeah, like it's like an apple seed. <laughs> it's like toasters and microwaves. When was it? When did you see Hardware? Hardware is a cla- an '80s classic. It's a cult classic for a reason. So is this movie uh, Dust Devil, by the way. You should see Dust Devil. Uh, what's your problem with Hardware? It's, it's just not as good as Goodfellas. Yeah, it's not as good as Goodfellas. <laughs> Goodfellas even has good in the title. You know what? You got me there, Kelly Wand. Fair enough. Scorsese knows how to appeal to me. Dave and Michelle. P.S. After wrong cops and rubber, I turned to a hijacking, which totally made me fall in love with you again. He doesn't get to thank you for that. I don't even think you've seen that. <laughs> but the heart wants what the heart wants. Aaron the Great writes, Dear QT33X3, here are my picks for appliances and movies. For fun, see if you can guess my theme. Number three, Paranormal <laughs> Activity 3. Which one's that? The fucking 70s? The fan. That's the one with the fan, I bet. The use of an oscillating fan yep. utilizes appliances in a way other movies don't. Mounting the found footage on the device to pan back and forth automatically. That is the that is the one thing I really liked about that movie. Actually. Yeah. I like that. That was still innovative. And it was, the, that's like, the, it was just a clever way to, to play with the editing. Like yeah, it's from the directors of Catfish, Kelly Wand. What do you think now? Uh, yeah. Broken clock twice a day. Number two, Close Encounters, when Richard Dreyfus is dumping the neighborhood into his kitchen. One neighbor is blow-drying her hair as she watches. I don't remember that. When Dreyfus asks if he can use some of her chicken wire, she points her appliance at him like a gun and tells him to keep it. Do you remember oh, that? That Spielberg is wacky. We still haven't decided whether those cops died who went off of the drove off the road chasing the UFOs. They wrote me, and they said they did die. <laughs> oh, good. Okay. It's good to know. Number one, Indiana Jones, Crystal Skull, when Dwayne the Rock gets in the fridge. It's unkillable, even to nukes. They don't make appliances like that these days. Yeah, it's like that whole nuclear test thing in that movie was just to test the refrigerator, right? Like, that's why we invented nukes, even. To see if it would if our food yeah. would be protected? Yeah. Or still cold. Runner-ups, The Fridge and Ghostbusters, and, and Brave Little Toaster. Thanks for the podcast. What's with that? What's the Brave Little Toaster? What's they don't really make a case for it either. It just keeps coming up. What is happening? 
Gretchen Mello writes, Hey, QT3 dudes, here are three appliances and movies that I could remember. Number three, Little Children. Wait, did you tell me to see that, Tom? Um, You would probably like that. Yeah, it's a really good. It's actually really good. But what's the appliance? Sex in the laundry room. I didn't rewatch this scene, so I might be wrong about this specific appliance. Was it a washing machine or a sink? I'm afraid that if you want sex in the laundry room, the go-to movie is Running Scared, where Paul Walker and Vera Farmiga have sex on a dryer. It's pretty hot. Or Varsity Blues. What's that? Nothing. It's a wrestling movie, Dingus. Uh, I apologize. I've had sex in a dryer. Have some respect for Paul Walker, Dingus, please. I, that's what I'm doing right now by, by mentioning Varsity Blues. What? He's a, oh, that's right. He's in it. <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> Nobody knew who he was back then, Dingus. Varsity Blues doesn't count. You might as well mention Tammy and the T-Rex. Alright. <laughs> T-Rex. No, he breaks his leg, Tom. Does he get to have sex in Varsity Blues on a laundry room appliance? No, I don't think so. Does an ironing board count as a laundry appliance? Yeah, you got me there. Damn. Either way, Patrick Wilson nailed Kate Winslet on it in Little Children. Oh, yeah, I heard that was good. Number two, Dead Alive Food Processor. Oh, this is a good one. Do you remember that one? Where it's like half the dude's skull, Tom. Also, The Lawnmower is a good one, too. Oh, wait, sorry. The Lawnmower is a great one, yeah. So, yeah. Well, we originally thought we get to see the zombie baby get pulverized. It does get some severed head action in the lawnmower scene. So much gross. But the blender's used to. Number one, you're next, The Blender. I'm sure it made someone's list, so I'll just say this. Sharni Vincent is a total badass and improviser. Love the rover. Thanks for the podcast. Hey, we have someone who actually saw the rover. Awesome. And liked it. Oh, uh, History of Violence, Coffee Pot Self-Defense. Kerf. It's a Kerf. How would you actually know to pronounce that that way? That makes no sense. Because I think it is a, the accent over the A. And oh. one over the E. It's Karafe. Yeah. Like roulette. What do you? How do you say it? Karaf. Karaf. Yeah, it's a coffee. Cup. Like, like an Arabic thing, or is it a Arabic thing? Karaf. God. Why it would be Karaf if it had like multiple of the same letter, like R's. C a r r a f e. Seraphim. That's Hebrew, though. I actually know Hebrew. You do? Uh, not anymore. I did at one point. <laughs> I know Hebrew. I recall Hebrew about as well as I recall I know Hebrew. it. I knew it. I never knew it. Just kidding. I made up the third one. Wait, how much do you know of it? Can you read it? I was going to say, I recall Hebrew about as well as I recall young Sherlock Holmes. That was my joke. <sighs> now I don't know what's true. No, I did. Of course I knew Hebrew in, uh, in uh, divinity school. Huh. Carry on. I have a degree in Old Testament studies. You can't very well get that one. And that. No, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. Uh, I've read translated versions. There is a version of the Bible in Latin, I believe, called the Vulgate. Did I just make that up? Yeah, the Latin Vulgate. Yeah. Uh, But if you want to read the actual Old Testament in the original language, you have to learn things like Hebrew and Aramaic and terrible. I like the uh, Jenny of Gutenberg Bible. (laughs) Ah, very good. Nice callback. Yeah, thanks. Get it callback because she's in the sex roulette. Um, no, I don't. Back. You, it's your joke. I don't understand your Logan's Run reference. I've never seen that. At least I haven't seen it. <sighs> Why would I see that? It's like weird. It's, it predicts the future. No, I know, but it's like it's young. Doesn't that old sci-fi not hold up for the most part, though? It's just well, it's got but a really Michael cool York's. computer in it. Yeah, but Michael York's got to be such a 
doofus, right? Like, I don't think I could watch a movie with him in it. Because, yeah, I think of Michael York, he's the guy in the Austin Powers movie. He's yeah, just a goof, but, right? Yeah, but he has, like, a gun in it. And they, there's some cool tech. They use things to, like, melt bodies. Thing is, can you back up Kelly Wand on this? Uh, Logan's run holds up. They got palm crystals. No, I really can't help him. So. What? I did see Michael Bay's The Island. Isn't that basically just Logan's run? Mm, no. Okay. It had Scarlett Johansson. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay. Give Kelly one a minute. Oh. But there was only one clone of her, huh? I guess one's all you need. I remember The Island about as well as I remember my Hebrew classes. Did you watch that Michael Caine Island? Yeah, we've had this discussion, and you're yep. still in the doghouse for that. Yeah. So wacky. Overhouse. Oh, those wacky Michael The martial artist. He took on the pirates. He's, oh, that was so funny. Oh, that was hilarious. It was supposed to be funny. It was supposed to be suspenseful. Like, is Parati going to be... Oh, I'm sorry. What I meant was, oh, it's so suspenseful. I didn't know what was going to happen. <sighs> you didn't watch it, Biggs, correctly. <laughs> That's, That's it, listeners. We have no other listeners. Runners up. Any runners up for favorite appliances? Kelly Wan, we almost thought about just punking you by doing everything from Star Wars. Like the little training drone. The blue milk. Talking. Aunt Beru's thing. Aunt Beru would have various blenders. A targeting computer, for instance, that Luke doesn't use because he turns it off because Ben Kenobi is talking him through the trench run. Or a gonk droid. Gonk droid's got it. Not, a, not an appliance. Maybe, or, yeah. Dingus even tried to... Didn't you try to get in mouse droid, Dingus? Mouse droid I tried to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The only droid... It, this Chess isn't really board. a droid. I think Wally would, would qualify as... <laughs> I guess he is trash management. Yeah. Uh, Wally's a Western. What does? Here's a quiz for you guys. What does <laughs> Wally stand for? Uh, eccentric breathing apparatus... Benevolent Order of Elks. I'm not sure I would know that one. Yeah. Wait, what's the first letter? W. <laughs> and um, is the thing that Loki uses to harvest the dude's eyeball in the Avengers an appliance? You mean the thing that that David Banner finds himself holding on the bridge of the Shield helicarrier? It's Bruce Banner. David Banner's Bill Bixby. Yeah. No, I mean the thing in the art museum. That he uses that little spinning thing that he puts on the museum director's eye to get the eyeball out. Is that an appliance? In what movie? What are you even talking about? In the Avengers! He puts a spinning thing on somebody's eyeball in the Avengers? That's how gods do things. Yeah, because, uh, because Hawkeye needs an eye. And, uh, and so, uh, Loki, like, throws this guy up onto this rock slab during this museum opening. And he uses this weird appliance to harvest the uh, eyeball so that it can be sent to Hawkeye so that he can what? get the uh, iridium. Like the so he can so he can get the iridium. It's this weird eyeball harvesting appliance. In the Avengers, I don't remember any of this. That's what they had to avenge that guy's eye. Yeah, it's going to take somebody's eyeball out in the Avengers. That's it grim. A, it was originally called the Avengers. I don't remember any of that. Is a is the silver sphere in Phantasm an appliance, Kelly Wand? The silver spheres fur. <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> All right, you guys ready for next week's three by three? Do this. This was inspired by uh, the movie The Rover. Mm. Uh, I want your three favorite rescues. Oh, that's Ugh. a good one. Good. 
Right. It's not as good as appliances. Uh, but <laughs> no, this is. Are these fake Source. rescues or any rescues? So, listeners, if you have uh, some picks for your favorite rescues from movies, or plenty of them, tell us what you like and why. What, do you, what, what makes it your favorite rescue? Uh, send your picks to three by three at quarter to three dot com. That is the number three, the letter X, the number three at, and then you have to spell out quarter to three dot com. We would love to read your picks on the air. I don't know about this, guys. Next week, I don't. <sighs> It's a choice of dooms. It's two hours and what is it? Forty-five oh minutes. Oh my! Yeah. Well, we got to stay for the buttons. Oh my god! A three-hour Transformers movie. I can't believe it. I can't believe this is happening. Here's my. Here's the one. Th- so I've watched the trailer and I've already. I don't know. Uh, Stanley Tucci has this one really. Um, it's like something that would be in a horror movie. He's going, "Oh my god!" and he's genuinely like anguished. Like, like Rancid and Godzilla. Yeah, but he's like really alarmed at something, and I want to know what is making him yell like that. Why is he so frightened? He's never seen a robot that big since the last movie. Is that really all it is? And well, wait, oh my God, they were on the moon, and now they're. Was he in the last movie? No, he's. They're setting him up for the next trilogy. I don't know. I did not see Transformers three. Uh, I probably walked out of two. Uh, so I, uh, yeah. All right. We're going to see freaking Transformers 4, Age of Extinction next week. It has, it has Dinobots. Kelly Wan, does that excite you? Uh, not visibly. <laughs> hey, what are those? Do they go extinct when a, something that turned into an asteroid hit their planet? I'm assuming they are Transformer dinosaurs. They can turn into things like boomboxes or guns or jets or a truck. They just fucking squash it together. That doesn't even fit at all. Like um, ninja. There's different rules of physics at work with the Transformer, Kelly Wand. Uh, Kelly Wand, Peter Cullen, the original Optimus Prime, will be the voice of, of the one of the Transformers. Ninja C and M There, that's my pitch. What were you saying? I would like to see your Ninja C and Yeah. Wait. Say it again. Ninja see enemies. Ninja see enemies. Ninjas see enemies. <laughs> You're on the verge of making a, a really clever little literary joke, Kelly Wand. I'm always on the verge, but I can never close it. Uh, all right, so join us for Transformers 4, Age of Oh, my God. And our 3 by 3 of favorite rescues. Maybe Transformers 4 will appear in the 3 by 3 We don't That's know. My, they're all my appliances. Or maybe someone will save us from seeing the movie. How, would, how, would they, how is that? Oh, happen? they would rescue us from seeing the movie. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, hurry, I'd rather be in an Australian apocalypse and see this piece of shit. Who's directing it? Michael Bay. <laughs> Who's that directing the Transformers movie? <laughs> Who's directing a Transformers movie? That's fine. Yeah, I thought maybe. Well, because Spielberg doesn't do Jurassic Park movies. Uh, Kelly Wan, this one is uh, is Joss Whedon. Okay. Join us for that next week. Send us your three by three of your favorite rescues. I am Tom Chick. I've been joined by uh, Christian Miorowski. It's Christian Miorowski. And uh, Kelly Wand. I'm unhappy for us. Could you just be unhappy for us? Oh my god. Oh my god. Oh my god. Oh my god. My god. My god. I don't want to see it. My name is Terry. I'm so very fly, oh my, it's a little bit scary Always want to marry, looking at my dairy Yeah, you can stare, but if you touch it, I'm a fairy Pretty as a picture, sweeter than a swisher Mad cause I'm cuter than the girl that's with
Tom, I see, I mean, Dingus, I see us. I, 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 I thought that was going to be way more harder. <laughs>